Greetings, everyone, and welcome to a very holy episode of the Stags. This is Jay. And this is Shanna. And have you heard about what those Shannonites have been doing? Ooh. They're saying they are the co-host of the podcast, but really, they are the co-host of the podcast. Anathema upon them. Anathema uh, upon me. <laughs> uh, before we get into our first film, The Milky Way, uh, appropriately enough, we have some sins and errors of omission. Uh, errors, sins of omission. I haven't done this in a while. Uh, I, I realized I cited the wrong Negative Land album last week, and uh, obviously I recognize that because I've been listening to it a bunch. It's <laughs> so good that the the song Christianity is Stupid, uh, and also you can find their official music video for it on YouTube as The Mashin' of the Christ, which is also pretty funny. Uh, but it's from the album Escape from Noise. Helter Stupid was a different one. Uh, that You showed me the song, and it's amazing. It's so good. Uh, and the loudspeaker spoke up and said, Christianity is stupid. Communism is good. Give up. Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, Estes Perkle. Estes Perkle. And before, as well, before we get into the Milky Way, just uh, stuff that we were talking about with uh, Footmen. Uh, if Footmen tire you, what will horses do last week? A bit of a disorganized discussion. We had quite a few technical difficulties. Uh, hopefully we won't this week. Fingers hopefully. crossed. Uh, but uh, there is some stuff that we we're talking about that does sort of pertain to both of our films this week that I kind of wanted to get back to because, uh, you know, while editing the episode, I'm listening to it. I was like, I feel like we didn't really finish this thought. And in particular, it's the the deifying of leaders. Because, you know, our two movies this week, one is a religious movie and one is a political movie, but they're both political movies. And uh, they're both movies sort of about political systems and how uh, is the first one very much how religion figures into that. Uh, so Estes as a transition point we were talking about how the the commie Nazis of uh, <laughs> Estes Perkle's apocalyptic vision, uh, they they deify Castro as like a replacement for God. Because he can give candy when Jesus cannot. Right. Well, and not, not the reason, but yeah. I mean, that's it's one of the reasons they give. But yeah. it's like the idea is the deification of their leader it's not an aspect of a political system except under fascism it's it's an aspect of a cult or a religion i mean the difference between a cult and a religion is that a religion is established <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> but uh the political systems uh, they're you don't deify leaders because they're just supposed to serve you they're they're your employee they're not they shouldn't be your boss, but that, oh, that is not how it ended up happening. No. And it's because it, uh, religious thought precedes modern political thought, modern political systems. You know, they didn't exist then. The, this was a time of Kings. So, uh, Jesus was supposed to be revolutionary towards that. And that's pretty obvious when you look at the text and as we're going to talk about with the Milky way, but uh, the, the whole thing of, 
just the that there has to be a god figure and that within political systems there also needs to be a god figure it's just it it shows sort of a collective problem of religious political thinking that it's why they're supposed to be separate because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you actually look at actual communism if you can ever find somebody who practices it the proper way they don't deify leaders at all yeah and like it 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 also speaks of sort of the central issue and the the real damage within if footman tire you is that it seems to be this insidious statement that we have to become the fascists so that we can beat the fascists that want to be the fascists to us even if we're just imagining them and it's the same that thing is, that Alex Jones is doing. That is exactly what happens in um, War of the Worlds, uh, next, of century. The Worlds next Century. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously it's uh, an echo of what happened in Poland during the Nazi uh, occupation. So it's just the, the same cycle of fascism. And it just it, it's really stark seeing it being advocated for in this religious propaganda. Yeah. Uh, still today (laughs) yeah and it's why i kind of wanted to bring it up again at the start of this because it does sort of uh, uh, act as kind of a hinge point to both of uh the things that we're talking about uh it's sort of like the elevation of the bootlicker uh you know if this all (laughs) pertains more to our second film i suppose but just the idea of uh, there are a lot of people who feel that uh, if they're not either wearing the boot or licking the boot, they're in danger of being kicked by the boot. So uh, they, you know, choose those first two. But you know, that's the attitude of a dog and not a man. So you know, be yeah. men, not dogs. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> that is. I don't really like eating faces, but if I join the lepers <laughs> eating faces party, I'm sure my face won't get eaten. Yeah, you know, there's there's all the memes, uh, but well, <laughs> so the Milky Way or La Voie Lactee, its original French title, uh, 1969, Louis Buñuel, the second of his films we've covered. Uh, with the first being Exterminating Angel, which I believe we both... I, I definitely loved it. You loved it too, oh, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Masterpiece. Yeah. That's an incredible movie. Uh, and they're both critical of religion. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Yell is a renowned atheist, and it certainly comes through in some of this. Although he's very interested in religion. He's very compelled by it. I think especially as a surrealist, because... You know the 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 classical concept of surrealism. He's one of the originators because uh, you know he worked with Sil- Salvador Dali. They made the first surrealist film together. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the idea is that it's supposed to be open to all interpretations. It's kind of the it's it's consciously the opposite of a religion where. Uh, <laughs> Everybody may have lots of different interpretations, but only one is allowed. But that's, you know, the surrealism is explicitly a death of the artist style uh, concept. So, <laughs> mm, okay, uh, yeah, you're you're supposed to be able to interpret like all interpretations are valid for surrealism because the idea is that you create something that operates more like a dream, and then. 
uh, it's up to the audience to decide what it means to them, even if uh, it may mean a specific thing to you. It may not mean a specific thing to you as the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've come up with about, as I was watching, I've come up with about four or five different interpretations of what's going on in the Milky Way, uh, including time travel, one of them being a god, but only sometimes, uh, or the whole thing being a dream. <laughs> a lot happens in this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that the answer is that uh, none of those are are really the point. There's no plot. No. That it's it's <laughs> not a plot. It's more. Uh, it's it's almost like it's it's like Buñuel doing his version of a, a Jerry Lewis blackout comedy. You know, when like the the bellboy, where it's just a series of gag sequences of Jerry Lewis working as a bellboy. This feels like that. It's it's Buñuel doing, uh, hey, heresy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> what can we have our two characters encounter this time? So the Milky Way refers to the Way of St. James. I guess the Milky Way is one of the names for it. I didn't really clearly get why it became the Milky Way. Yeah, I... I... I don't recall that explanation exactly, just that it is the way of St. James, and it refers to a holy pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela, which is in Spain. So it's from France to to Spain. Yep. And they're traveling on foot. Well, they hitchhike, but they're on foot. You know, so it, the background to the whole concept, this is a p- holy pilgrimage that has been a thing since the 11th century, and... Uh, because the Santiago de Compostela is the supposed resting place of the remains of the Apostle James, who was the first of the apostles to be martyred. Mm -hmm. And then 500 years after that, the Crusades are going on. One of the Crusades is going on. Uh, 16th century. The Bishop of Santiago at that time hides the remains uh, for uh, some, some sort of uh, internecine uh, feuding, you know, someone was yeah. someone else. <laughs> oh man, there! I just watching this movie made me realize that a thousand years is a lot of time for a whole bunch of different little minutiae to happen. Right. I mean, you see something like um, Mormonism. Mormonism is kind of more actively on the line between cult and religion for a lot of people because it's just so much more recent we're mm-hmm. we're, we're able to like historically document the people who are involved with the creation of that one whereas this one we we mostly have their own words uh even though they do kind of conflict and they have all sorts of different stories surrounding them but that's that's what this movie's about <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> how many different ways can people interpret the bible well a lot it turns out it's not even interpret the bible it's like interpret certain elements of things like it 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 doesn't even come down much to bible interpretation it's just uh their belief in the nature of god so it's it's so narrow in its focus but it's still like they're they're so upset over these (laughs) minutiae So as yeah, in the seventh century, a star guides these shepherds to the remains of the apostle James, which had been missing for 
some centuries, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so that's what gives this the name, Santiago de Compostela. And I, I think this is supposed to be kind of a language joke here, because they do uh, the remains, hence the name. And there's sort of a pause that, you know, the long dead remains. And I, I then they explain it like because it's the campus star or campus stella, the star of the field. And instead of like, you're not making a joke about him being compost. That's that's not the I joke was, you're making. I'm pretty I sure that's the joke that you're too. making, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I I love just you have all these opening shots of all these classical gothic churches as they're talking about the history of this pilgrimage. And then I always laugh. Like I, I watched it a few times in preparation because it's a whole lot to prepare for. It's a very yeah. complicated film. Uh, I always laugh uproariously when it shifts to all of these shots of the current state of the Milky Way. It's just a motorway. <laughs> yep, just like these, all these just cars just screaming down it so fast. It's just, I mean, there's traffic jams too. There's a, a lot yeah, of people yeah. just puttering along. But just, yeah, it's a, just a four-lane highway and it's so modern. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the the banality of it. And it's beautifully shot too. Oh, yes. <laughs> so it's like, huh. Uh, uh, yeah, it really makes me laugh. Just, it, it it's obviously the the main thrust of this. The, the, the primary argument right at the beginning is that faith is medieval and it's anachronistic the idea of these guys going on a holy holy pilgrimage on this highway seems immediately absurd like we are already in a surreal film yeah um yeah you don't really hear about people doing that anymore or <laughs> well, haven't heard of that in my lifetime I mean, people do pilgrimages sort of, but not of this nature. And like this specific one, I, I think kind of doesn't exist as a thing anymore because specifically what they talk about at the end. Although I think that's also potentially anathema or heretical, but mm. <laughs> you know, could be could be either way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so our two sort of main guys, the the two sort of figures who we, who we follow on their pilgrimage, uh, Pierre and Jean, uh, Pierre played by uh, Paul Francoeur, who was Fredo last week's Speaking of Murder. Oh, cool, cool. And they're sort of, I mean, they're pilgrims, but really, I would say they're boxcar hobos of the 30s. <laughs> they, they, they act like, they, they are pilgrims, but yeah, they act like drifters, and they look like drifters. They're poor, they're modern, they're always you know they're on a holy pilgrimage they never do anything wrong to anyone basically uh there there is that one thing later when the devil shows up but yeah uh, but it, it's well, notable uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just very notable that there is no point in this movie at which they receive any form of charity well there's the rich guy at the beginning who gives one of them a bill See that that's the thing. This is not charity, and it's oh. kind of explicitly not charity. And uh, so th that is basically the first uh, thing that happens. We've got this rich guy in the cloak. Yeah, just super well dressed man just walking down the highway towards these guys, and just kind of out of nowhere, he he sort of appears, which does make him ambiguously uh, godly or satanic. He, which I think is also sort of the point of this whole thing is that 
the weird ambiguity with the way God is supposed to move in mysterious ways makes him logically indivisible from uh, Satan or the devil. <laughs> well, they even say, or one group even says that, uh, yeah, obviously Satan has existed for exactly as long as God has, because God wouldn't create something as horrible as our filthy human body. So it must have been the devil, which means he must have been around from the beginning. Right. And I think that's that's another person who's a heretic. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of different ways you can be a heretic. Oh, so many ways. So the, the the dude in the cloak, they ask him for alms, and he asks if they have money. And yeah. John doesn't have any, the, the younger guy. but Or I think he does, but he's hidden it so he won't admit to having it. He says he doesn't, yeah. But uh, Pierre says, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of money. And Paul's like, I got like a dollar here. And he's like, all right, well, then you'll, you can have some more. it's like you have no money then you shall have none if you have some then you shall have much right and this is sort of the first point to what i was kind of getting at in our preamble that the concept of improving one's station is anathema (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically it's like if you have right at the beginning it's kind of like okay you have no money well you're homeless. You're obviously meant to be homeless. Then stay homeless. Yeah, you're. You are supposed to stay at your station, uh, and it's mainly an, a concept of again the medieval nature of faith that it is anachronistic in its design that uh, it just exists before capitalist systems. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't know how to like it doesn't have guidance for that and people have just sort of applied their own interpretations on it in different countries. So uh, the the sort of the the faith-based capitalism is is a really bizarre entity that uh, I, I feel Buniel is kind of grappling with in here. Yeah, because, uh, I always felt it was like super hypocritical where it's like, oh, a rich man cannot enter heaven except for us, the church. We could be as rich as we want and enter heaven. Well, yeah, that's sort of, I guess that's also very specifically the Catholic church, which does all of the uh, uh, pageantry and, and likes the, mm-hmm. the ornate stuff. Uh, obviously, there are many splinters which don't do that. But yeah, uh, it, it's it's a... Uh, it, it is as uh, what is it the rich man to get into heaven as a camel to pass through the eye of needle right okay that's, that's the quote uh, so uh, the the man who I would say within this context is God but is maybe also the devil because uh, often the devil is a mirror reflection of God and it being a surreal film and this is the introduction I think it should be both yeah um uh- my first thought was devil, but then you mentioned the thing about the Son and the Holy Ghost, and I'm like, okay, well, now right. this has to be God. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clearly being stationed as one of our first of many examples of the Holy Trinity, because he gives them the money, and then he has this speech about, you should take whores for wives. <laughs> I love this. Name the eldest child, ye are not my people. And the second child, no more mercy. <laughs> they're like, 
okay because <laughs> they're modern they're not like classic pilgrims of like the canterbury tales type they're just <laughs> they're they're 60s hobos they're kind yeah. of hippie adjacent especially like, the younger guy yeah yeah like if they actually did this and that poor kid have to be like roll call no more <laughs> mercy johnson just call me n please so as he walks away, there's this dwarf that appears with him, and it tosses a dove. Uh, the the gender unclear. The dwarf tosses this dove, so it's it's the god in three persons, basically. Uh, the the dwarf being a version of the sun, and the the dove being a version of the Holy Ghost. I, I love how when they when they look at the dove and the dwarf, they're like. Where did that come from? Must have hidden in his coat. And it's not <laughs> clear if they're talking about the bird or the dwarf. Yeah, all mysteries are acceptable. <laughs> and they walk away and they don't think about the economic concept. Like, they don't even think about the, uh, well, you have money, so you can have more money. They don't really consider that as the reason they start talking about like well i guess he probably gave you the money because he liked your beard <laughs> <laughs> and this is sort of where we get into the hyperlink cinema style of the movie because it goes into this flashback of pierre talking about his mom telling him not to shave his beard but he's jesus and his mom's the virgin mary <laughs> So, I'm going to get this right out of the way at the beginning. Uh, we can't see why in this scene, but I love, this is my favorite movie Jesus ever. He's a really fun movie Jesus. He's he's wild. He's got, he, he's kind of a crust punk Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got like these wild eyes and like these wonky teeth. Sometimes he looks a little bit like Steve Buscemi. He's Buscemi-esque for sure, and he's got, like, he's dressed and styled like a classical Sunday school Jesus, but there's just enough on every side of all of the interactions that he has that we realize how weird all of it would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end of it, he just seems like a raving lunatic. He seems kind of dangerous. In, dangerous, in an interesting yes. way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which... I think was the initial point. He's supposed oh, yeah. to be kind of dangerous. He's a danger to the power structure. It was supposed to be revolutionary. And then uh, it became the system. And that's a weird thing for revolution to become. <laughs> and uh, it happens a few times in history. Yeah. yeah. So his pregnant mother, who is the Virgin Mary, but is also, I guess, Pierre's mother. <laughs> and I guess. There's this is just full of heresy. This is like deep <laughs> heresy. Uh, she's for some reason she's kneading some dough in a cradle, and she's also very heavily pregnant. So, uh, and shooing away another brother. All of these are deeply heretical because she's the Virgin Mary. She doesn't oh, have other yeah. kids. Actually, yeah, isn't that one of the discussions <laughs> they had? Like, hey, so yeah. do we know that she stayed a virgin? Blasphemer! Of course she did. <laughs> Yeah, the, well, that, that's the like big final. Uh, oh, that's the last no, one. Basically, no sex, no sex. <laughs> yes, uh, no sex. <laughs> so uh, the the mother tells him not to shave. Uh, so I I would say that uh, 
Jesus is in three persons in this scene as well. Because he's obviously in person as the man, right? Yeah. He would also be the boy, Mm -hmm. the other brother. And he's the bread. And arguably also he's in the belly. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, the bread. I never thought about that because another group later on also talks about and to bread. Yeah, the the Bateliers, I I would say that uh, in this scene, all of them are Jesus would be the explanation. In in continuity, every single one of them is simultaneously Jesus. I'm not sure which exact heresy it would be (laughs) if uh, I I get that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's hard to keep track of the different heresies. So yeah, she advises him not to shave, and then we we cut back to them. So they, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh yeah, that was a good story. Uh, so they find this boy who's sitting next to the road, and he has full stigmata, uh, the the hands. He's got the uh, thorn in the side. He's got the crown. Yep, just sitting on the side of the road, uh, not saying anything. And they come up to him and they offer him assistance. They they offer wine. And he just refuses to respond, so they walk away, and he hails a ride for them. Yeah, it's interesting that he hails the ride for them, and that he doesn't take the ride. Because and... he he's just, uh, you know, he's responding to their charity. Uh, he He's performing a miracle for them. He summons oh. the perfect ride. Which, actually, yes, it is the perfect ride, and then they go and fuck it up, and I think i know how they fuck it up but it's not like express expressly said well part of it is also that this is god again both of these are god uh obviously the kid is god but the guy in the car is god in the cadillac it's i i believe in he he was referred to it in the in in subsequent stuff as the cadillac of omnipotence okay (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, they, they get in and there's this guy and it's perfect. And he's like, oh, I'm going all the way to Spain. Hey, you don't mind driving at night? And it's like, not at all. It's this cozy <laughs> Cadillac back seat. And they put up the pillows. Oh, man, it looked, I'm going to be honest, that looked so comfortable. I would have been so happy if I was hitchhiking and <laughs> caught caught this ride. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like Green Book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jean... Our younger guy, he lays back in comfort and he says, God almighty, a few times. So they're ejected, which is them kind of being ejected from the Garden of Eden. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they, they, uh, and it's just like they passed this charity test, but they immediately failed the purity test. Mm-hmm. They, they took the Lord names in vain is how I interpret it. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they took the Lord's name in vain. And that's the purity test. And it's, it's such an arbitrary nature of the reward and the punishment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the reward's like this perfect miracle. They don't actually do anything. They're just willing to. And then they kind of move on. It's like, well, shit, I mean, I guess we can't get a ride. <laughs> like, oh, hey, perfect ride. And then immediately to take it away without really any motion and for no real purpose. Uh, and it's it's also just one guy's error. <laughs> Both of them yeah. are kicked out for it. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, you're judged by the company you keep or something. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean, know there, if that's there's, a... there's always I I don't think that's necessarily biblical, but just generally aphoristic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I the Reverend said it to somebody on The Simpsons, so I assumed. Hmm. So there, we we cut to this nearby inn where we've got the mad priest and the police inspector. I really like <laughs> the priest. He he he's got just a really fun intensity to him. Uh, and the police inspector is like he's clearly trying to start shit. I, he he wants to have this. I mean, everybody is having religious debates all over the place. Everybody's talking about the nature of God. It, it's like. In that regard, it kind of reminds me of Waking Life, only they're talking about God instead of dreams. And that's just all that's on anybody's mind right now. Right, and both of them are hyperlink cinema. Uh, you get a lot of that from Richard Linklater. He he also did uh, Slacker. Just I haven't seen of... that one. Oh, good movie, good movie. Mm. Um, so the, the priest and the police inspector are talking theology. They're going over faith versus science, obviously. The priest representing faith and the inspector representing science. Yeah, and the inspector's like, hey, well, science can explain all the miracles, so they're not that important to the priest. It's like, oh, no, actually, science and the scripture are in accord right now. They're perfect accord. In fact, everybody's Catholic these days. Uh, you mean... Muslims? Oh, of course. Jews? More so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worried inspect the worried look on the inspector's face as he's taking a glass of water after hearing this. He's I, like, "Oh shit, what have I got into?" I I like the the concept that uh, everybody's Catholic now is interesting because yeah, Catholicism it's sort of just the it's it's such a pure belief system it's it's a real uh you believe and and faith is the primary thing of importance and then you just kind of sort out the details from there and like it, it doesn't matter what contradictions there they're all true and you just believe everything literally so the idea that everybody on earth is catholic and every group uh, just sort of uh, the idea that everybody is just kind of taking everything on faith these days mm -hmm. Oh, oh, and that that's what he meant by that. Okay. I guess. Maybe possibly. <laughs> so the pilgrims show up and they're looking for some leftovers and they're not really getting any any leeway there. So they we have money, so they get let in. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the exact same thing. Yep. If you don't have money, you can't have anything, but if you have money, you can come in. Mm -hmm. And the priest also is like, come on, let them in. Come on, let these men warm up. So th this priest, uh, obviously the madman who is hauled away at the end of the sequence, <laughs> he's the only one who is willing to consider being charitable to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, he might be the only one. He, he's literally the only one, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking, yeah, because I was thinking, what about the two guys with the donkey? No, no, they weren't being charitable at all. No, they they were just like... Uh, you know, hang on to this for us. We, we've got these. We've got an important thing to do, and we might not come back. So they they have this debate: uh, the police inspector and the priest about Christ being contained in the bread of the Eucharist, the Holy Host, uh, and sort of the concept of transubstantiation. Yeah, he's like, well, no, it's important. This isn't a. It's not that this is a symbol. This is the host of Christ. Yeah. 
it just is the host and he's like well in what sense like it doesn't matter it just is (laughs) that's the whole point and the innkeeper comes by and he's like well i think it's like uh, jesus is in the host in the way the hare the rabbit is in this pate (laughs) (laughs) this just sets the priest off he's like you fucking idiot i don't know that that's the that's the heresy that that's the patelios uh, you know they, there's a whole sect for that and I, I love that the, he using the example of the pate and they're called the patelians patelios uh yeah that's great <laughs> and he he's the point is that the mystery is the key that uh you you embrace the mystery of it and that we know that the host is him but it's not like I mean, if we assume that he is in the in the in the Eucharist as the hair is in the pate, that means it is him ground up and being served. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. It's like, no, no, that that's that's a little bit too much. That's a weird cannibalistic sect that you, you you're not really think about what you're saying here. <laughs> then uh I think it's Pierre is like, well, what happens to Jesus when he is in our stomach? Yeah, what happens after we eat the host and he's in our stomach and he travels through our system? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The the police inspector is like, hey, get out of here. <laughs> Excuse me? No, you don't ask practical questions about stuff. That's not okay. <laughs> We're having a philosophical conversation here. You're just being crass. And it, the I guess the innkeeper here is also charitable to them. He gives them... Uh, bread and cheese to take with them because uh, certainly no further innkeeper is going to help them out or or restaurant owner <laughs> uh, not without money anyway <laughs> no so the priest all of a sudden he has a revelation <laughs> <laughs> i love this part like no i'm quite certain the pateliers were right uh Jesus is in the in the host just as uh, the hair is in the pate. I feel it. <laughs> just, I love just the awestruck expression on his face, like almost tears in his eyes. Like, oh no, I, he's it's right. <laughs> and the guy's like, dude, two minutes ago you just said the exact opposite. Yeah, you just said that that's a heresy. You you said you disagreed with that, and. There's that like <laughs> pause, and he he's like astonished to, to to realize that he's he just said the other thing, and he like looks down at his teacup and just throws it in his face. And <laughs> 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 the ambulance is already on their way <laughs> yeah. to haul this guy off back to the <laughs> mental hospital. Yeah, and they're like, he is a real priest. No, d- don't get us wrong. He is a priest. He just went crazy like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you do you have any idea what happened? It's like, you must have contradicted him. <laughs> it's like contradicting a priest is something you just don't do, especially a Catholic priest. Just everything about the tea splashing. Just oh. It's perfect. The timing, the the comic timing is incredible. 
<laughs> and like the look on the priest's face while he's doing it is like you're horrible for making me do this to you <laughs> just yeah there's so much expression in what he's doing the <laughs> the turn the realization of him being contradictions like i can't believe this <laughs> <laughs> so the pilgrims camp in an old farm field uh just this ancient uh farm and this is the first digression in time we go back to like medieval times yeah yeah back to like probably the 11th century or even the 5th century who even knows really early because there's this there's just this ancient robed figure who shows up with a goat and he makes all these pronouncements but it's in a language that they don't speak and uh, it, it's not subtitled. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, hey, what's this guy's deal? He walks off into the forest, and uh, he is part of a different heretical set. But they don't <laughs> follow him, but we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he goes back to ancient times where we're seeing this clandestine ceremony being held in the forest. So this seems like a witch hammer territory uh it really does yeah or, and, or it seems like they're doing what people in Witchhammer were accused of yeah so there's this one priest he looks and sounds exactly like john lovitz <laughs> <laughs> i'm right you know yeah you are right i, I know what you're we thinking of and the whole time i'm like who does he remind me of he has the same voice it's what really made me laugh it's like hey that guy looks like john lovitz and then he starts doing uh his his thing about the pope is the real heretic not us and he's doing like a john lovitz routine almost it like, stinks oh. <laughs> the pope's policy stinks the pope's the real heretic <laughs> yeah uh and everybody's undressing and they're like all grooming each other's hair. And it's like, oh, then I guess an orgy is about to go down in the forest. And it is because this guy's teachings is that <laughs> to free yourself from your soul, from the flesh, you have to humiliate the flesh with the pleasures of the flesh. Basically, it's just an excuse for a big fucking it's sinful bodily indulgence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's necessary so that uh, the the soul can be gradually freed from the body because the body is the work of the devil, uh, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. This, this is the guy who feels that uh, the body creates the devil. So this is a real guy, Priscillian. Oh, okay. The Bishop of Avila. So he was establishment. Okay. Uh, but he was uh, denounced and he was ultimately executed for heresy. For for the uh, the sex orgy thing, I assume, or um, all the stuff he said. The stuff he said. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this guy's pretty key. Uh, he he's this is also uh, it's an early ascetic movement, which is a sort of major common heretical sect categorization, and uh, you know the the humiliation and degradation of the body, uh, or just to them so that they can uh, have lots of fun all the fun that they want to have but he's really weird about it too really aggressive about it oh yeah but the the idea is that there's this long-held religious conspiracy that the tomb of santiago which is what this pilgrimage is for yeah the, these guys are going those are priscillian's remains 
Oh, so 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 the idea is that the the remains they're going to see might be the remains of this guy who's talking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh that uh instead of um instead uh, of James the apostle instead of St. James the apostle that the remains that were discovered centuries later were actually Priscillians. Right. Okay. <laughs> Cuz they do mention that the church is hesitant to verify that the remains belong to St. James. Yes, correct. So the the three priests, there's Priscillian and his two guys. One of them is John Lovett. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> he is John Lovett. <laughs> they, they, they break bread together. And there's this weird bit where Priscillian, this is where, I talk, where I'm thinking of how weirdly aggro he is about this stuff. He absolves himself of all guilt for the <laughs> making of the bread, all of the harm that has come to it. And not only that, I curse anyone who inflicted it upon you. Like the people who made this bread should be burned alive. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna eat it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And like his his two guys share like a weird look. It's like, okay. <laughs> Very similar to a look we'll see exchanged by the followers of Jesus at various points when we see him. <laughs> so we go back to the farmyard. And there's this lightning storm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, Jean is like, hey, check this out. Yeah. He says, strike me down, God. Uh, I, I'm, I'm daring you to do it. And it strikes the farmhouse and starts a fire next to him. It's like, well, it didn't strike me. Like <laughs> 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 You missed, man. <laughs> <laughs> this proves God isn't real. Real God would have hit me. <laughs> so we we cut forward in time. They they managed to get on a train uh, illicitly, mm -hmm. and they uh, get off at the the main station at Tours. And there's this. They they make a beeline past the 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 big church to this expensive hotel restaurant nearby where we see the maitre d' holding court on religion. <laughs> I, I just feel bad for the, the poor workers who, you know that they just have to listen to this every single day, and they've learned by now to just shut up and let him go off. Well, again, I feel that this is more metaphorical. But this is church. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> as they're talking, I begin, I begin to realize it's like, this doesn't even have to be taking place at a restaurant. It's more like a, a catechism exercise. It, uh, the, the idea is this is, you know, Tours is also a major center of like a food mecca in France. So okay. high bourgeois food as religious establishment. Uh, the, the maitre d' obviously is the priest over the court. And they're all coming to questions with questions about the nature of God. Uh, which he starts, of course, with his thing that there can be no true atheists, only madmen or liars. <laughs> oh well, what makes you what makes you say that, sir? <laughs> no rational man can disbelieve. Uh, it's in the Bible. It says it right in this one chapter. Uh, it's the fool who saith in his heart, "There is no God." <laughs> well, I'm convinced. <laughs> and the, yeah, the the waiter's like. Well, that settles it. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> like, Very oh, convincing. Bible says the Bible's true. So, I mean, <laughs> what do you figure? He's like, yeah, there's only madmen. And we cut to Desaad, the Marquis Desaad. <laughs> oh, that's who that was supposed to be. Yeah. This is an actual, <laughs> like, th- this is a, a, a sequence for one of his books. Oh, shit. Okay. This is his own religious theory. He's got his imprisoned Therese, and he's just yelling at her about how God doesn't exist. <laughs> as, as she's like doing that whole you get away from me thing, like trying to lean away from him anytime he goes for a touch. Yeah, he, he's talking about how God is a fiction that madmen invented to deceive and persecute uh projection (laughs) this is what he wants to do with people so (laughs) his thing is if there were a god there'd be less evil and these two arguments the it's a fool who saith in his heart there is no god so you know there can only be madmen who are atheists and the mad atheist you know the the youtube annoying atheist argument (laughs) is like well you know what is there evil then what was was that uh, I should just be able to do any evil I want, if uh, <laughs> etc. They're both abdicating responsibility for their own actions to either God or an absence of God. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, they go back, later on they'll go back to it, but Jean will be like, well, if I don't have free will, why does God make me do evil shit? Yeah, I like their free will argument. That, that That's a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. So there's the, Maitre d' answering all sorts of questions a maid comes up it's like so how could christ be both god and man and he's like well it's it's just like how satan could transform into a wolf uh, go clean the cloakroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, throw up these eggs they're off yeah uh the waiter well how could he be born and die if he's eternal so they, they get into some heretical viewpoints here. Uh, the idea that Jesus was an illusion, uh, the, uh, that on the cross he, he could do shape-shifting, that it was actually Simon on the cross who died. And, okay. Or also the idea that Jesus was always just a man and that there's been a mythology built up around him. These All of these are different heretical views. Yeah, yeah. So one of the guys is like, but he had to have just acted like a real person in everyday life, right? I mean, he he had to have just walked around and coughed and, you know, just been a human being at times. <laughs> what would that be like? And we get is this one where Jesus is holding court? Yeah, where he it's it's the uh, uh, the the marriage at Cana, uh, his oh, okay. first miracle. This is one where he's like bro Christ at first. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like he's telling, he's preaching, but the way he says it and the way he acts, he's like a drunk guy telling a story of a funny thing that happened. It's it's Wedding Crashers-esque. Yeah, he really feels like he's a bro who is just lost in time because they they come up to him and this is, you know, all actual bible stuff it's just you put it into a context of people walking around and it starts seeming weird uh, <laughs> so uh he's running late and he he shows up and he obviously sometimes just speaks in these dramatic holy pronouncements that 
everyone has to stop and go oh, okay <laughs> we're we're just walking and having a having a laugh it's all good uh so you know someone approaches and it's like hey your mom and your brothers have arrived he's like whoa these guys are my mom and brother <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's you, you wanted to be like yo these guys they're my pros <laughs> <laughs> okay but your actual biological mom is here like it's, it's all the same man. it's all the same and of course <laughs> that's the point is that everybody should be treated equally it's just obviously that's never how it ends up being treated as a as a point no one's treating these guys equally our pilgrims no so the first miracle of jesus the water into wine and he's telling this weird rambling story about this steward <laughs> who lied about stuff <laughs> yeah it feels like 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 the religious sermon version of an onion on the belt story it's it's so meandering just about this guy who did who who lied and then you know he changed to the the numbers and then you know it was bad and then it was good and it was like <laughs> everyone kind of sits back for a second like yeah uh we seem to be running out of booze (laughs) (laughs) jesus is like oh fuck ah well okay i mean just tell them to pour water and they'll have wine we we do the miracle but it's very very low key much in the way it's done in uh last temptation of christ you ever seen that with uh willem dafoe no i oh with willem dafoe no i never willem dafoe is christ oh my god uh, Harvey Keitel is Judas. Nice. It's it's weird. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe I haven't seen that. Scorsese. So uh, we go back to the present, and some customers arrive, and they carry on this trans transubstantiation discussion with the maitre d', uh, and the pilgrims show up. Yeah, we just see we just kind of see them like coming from the background through a window. Yeah, they're they're thrown out before they can even ask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guy looks at him and he's just like, Mm-mm, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And uh, Jean spits on the menu, uh, which you know, again, it's spitting on false iconography. Oh, <laughs> he's you know, they're leaving the church uh, that they were rejected from. <laughs> so instead, they find the Institut Lamartine, which is. A weird sort of radical backyard uh, <laughs> outdoor festival. It's speech day at the Institut Lamartine. Oh, right. This this is like the, the schoolgirls? Yeah, in, uh, in Bordeaux. <laughs> so they each recite heresies and anathemas. Uh, so uh, Lamartine background was this rationalist or pantheist who would be considered heretical i would say mm-hmm. so uh yeah this is sort of just them exploring all these heresies and every time they stay say something everyone shouts anathema upon them <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know it's mostly just the classical dogmas you know monogamy going to mass uh vegetarianism anathema upon you <laughs> yeah me, no, yeah i'm going to hell that's that's one of the ones that show up in their list. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and Jean starts daydreaming as you would <laughs> want to do in a situation like this. This is the other, this is like one of the big laugh moments in the movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth wall break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's, we've been hearing gunshots and we get these brief cuts throughout this whole sequence where we're seeing Jean's attention flagging and he's daydreaming about revolutionaries executing the pope <laughs> <laughs> yep firing squad <laughs> uh the pope played by luis buñuel the director oh okay cool of course he's the pope yeah. of the film sure <laughs> uh yeah and it, it cuts back and there's that one guy who's sitting next to jean he's like is there like a firing range around here or something he's like no no <laughs> that was me i'm imagining them shooting the pope <laughs> 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 it's like oh, that's you'll never see that happen <laughs> not again I, uh, <laughs> no I, I i just love it because at first i think the joke is that the firing range i, I didn't realize he was daydreaming at first right <laughs> so i thought that the firing range really was right next to this catholic school right but no, no. <laughs> his dream is no. leading into reality. My bad, I'm sorry, <laughs> I dreamed too loud. Yeah. So then we go to a heretic in a dungeon who's uh, holding very firm uh, that purgatory and extreme unction just literally aren't in the Bible. I don't know what else to say. They're not there, guys. And you're like, take them away, burn them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, all the verses and paragraphs are numbered if you could just tell me the verse and paragraph where it is i'll renounce my hair uh, hang, hang up on it hang up on him uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, the tactics have not really evolved so no. uh one of the council guys is like man burning heretics i don't know it just seems like maybe it's not christ-like he's <laughs> <laughs> like uh we're not burning them as heretics they're being burned for sedition against the government <laughs> it's secular punishment <laughs> for yeah. religious crimes which I, I guess this is sort of something we I sort of skipped past with the them sharing the bill earlier. Oh yeah, because uh, God gives him the money because he has more money. So yeah. it's them who choose to go towards communism, uh, which I guess would be a sin in this context. Again, going back to Perkle, or maybe that's a heresy. I would actually assume that probably a lot of what Perkle says is heretical. <laughs> <laughs> Christianity is stupid. Communism <laughs> is good. And the loudspeaker's bad. Uh yeah. So the disciple maintains that like it just seems dangerously self-sustaining as a problem. You know, <laughs> if they burn them, then like what about the people who want to get revenge for that? And like, what, what about this cycle of vengeance? And, it, you know, if it isn't to do with the church, why are we involving ourselves with it? And the, the bishop or whatever is like, uh, are you saying that you're <laughs> are you like, are, are you going to continue in this line of questioning? It's like, uh, well, I mean, just 
are you going to continue? <laughs> like, uh, I guess not. <laughs> no, I good, think good. I'm just going to. Yeah. Just, just going to submit, you know. Yeah, it, it There's the obvious thing. It's like, well, I mean, if you're not completely 100% faithfully agreeing, you might be a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> you just might be you a heretic. You might be a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> if you're comparing the, the host of Christ to a pate, you just might be a heretic. It's true. So we go to the road to Bayonne. And this car goes past, and Jean curses them for not stopping. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I hope you die in a car crash. I, I think he says, I hope you break your neck. And it immediately crashes, rolls, explodes. <laughs> Dude dies. Yep. And they, they run up, and it's funny the way the fire just kind of retracts back into the car. And then they, they walk up, and the devil's just sitting there in the back seat. Sort of a hippie devil. Yeah, yeah. Got like this white kind of robe thing. Kind white, of like, kind of like a Nehru suit almost. Yeah, yeah. very you know, white with gold trim. And he's holding a metal rose, which when like he, he's sniffing it and then it turns to them and it cuts back to him and it just turns to like garbage, <laughs> like <laughs> rotten leaves and dry I like grass. This ver- I like this version of the devil too. Mm-hmm. He's very similar to the version of Jesus in the movie in that his ways are pretty mysterious. And the main difference is that he helps people. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> and also he encourages people to help themselves, which is also, that's that's some fucking anathema right there. <laughs> but yeah, he's saying to them, it's like, all right, I know you want to call the cops, but man, you got places to be and they're going to hold you up for hours. Yeah. And there's the, the car radio is doing a sermon, which he translates. It's about death and repentance, which very uh, opportune. <laughs> and he, he pulls up the St. Christ- the Christopher's medal and uh, drops it in a mud pit and like stomps it into the ground. Uh, St. Christopher being the patron saint of travelers. Oh, Okay. So obviously, you know, him dying yeah. in a car crash, it didn't really work out for him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so yeah, the devil's like, hey, and also your shoes are fucked. Take this guy's shoes. He's not going to be needing them. <laughs> <laughs> and Pierre, yeah, Pierre? Pierre's Pierre. Like, yeah, okay. He's like, yeah, may as well. They're pretty nice shoes. So nice that when they get to the big church, the next big church, they're like, we better put some mud on those. People are going to be <laughs> suspicious of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah hey drifter where'd you get these fucking brand new nice leather shoes and it's like him showing up in a pair of like fresh nikes yeah <laughs> oh so, i forgot to mention hmm. uh at the beginning of this scene with the with the devil I really love the trend with the devil yeah i really love the transition uh as it shows we see like a camera on a car Mm, uh, just right. going down the road and it looks it looks like they got a ride but then we see the camera just drive past them on the road <laughs> yeah the the car uh, the camera also does not want to pick them up nope. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one we have uh, a physical debate and we also have <laughs> the the group of nuns who are crucifying a jansenist <laughs> and she she Please just refuses my... refuses to renounce. 
<laughs> please, you know that Jesus doesn't actually require you or need you to do this at all. You're making this up. Yeah, this is not something that you have to do. It's like, I'm pretty sure. Keep, <laughs> keep nailing those in. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess we have to. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and we cut outside, and there's a Jesuit who is just sick of the whole thing. It's like, this is ridiculous. The stuff that's going on in there, you you men better just stay away, Pierre and Jean. This is just monstrous against the church and a jansenist guy is there too and we're back in time again i think this yes. is 16th century probably from judging from the the clothing i would guess something like that uh i i probably have it somewhere here but uh they they get in a fight slash debate <laughs> they have a duel <laughs> uh because they disagree on fate grace and free will right <laughs> so uh, predestination and irresistible grace this is where we get his thing uh, shortly the the pilgrims have their own dissection of it after they watch these guys sort of very um clinically dissect it while clashing swords <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh so jean argues that free will under omnipotence is basically a farcical concept it's unfair which yeah, you know kind of seems fair and th this is why you know the cadillac of omnipotence earlier that there there's really no fair way to do that that you're just uh you know w one guy says god almighty and now we're thrown out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this is where he's like well if there's no actual free will and if god's making us do all this stuff why does he make me do this evil shit why are you doing this god Right. Pierre's like, well, God's grace helps you to choose good. And John's like, well, sure, but then why did he choose evil? Why did he choose for me to do evil instead? <laughs> yeah. And it's true. Neither of those are truly your own choice if you believe in fate. Mm -hmm. uh, if if fate is the, the concept in which you have faith, then it's just, well, God's ways are impenetrable. <laughs> like, he needed you to do the wrong thing. Now you're damned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it, it just kind of seems like, like I don't know, to me it kind of seems like a cop-out belief. It's like, hey, man, it was fate that I do this. This wasn't my fault. Well, I had I mean, to it, do this. It, it's it's part and parcel of the whole Catholic thing of just uh, uh, total faith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, it's it's the, God has a design and these things are meant to happen and you just have to have faith. So the duel between the Jansenist and the Jesuit, they end amicably. It's like, okay, we, we can shake hands. We can agree to disagree on this. We're okay. Uh, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're a bit more genteel than the others. This is a, a, a small matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Pierre and Jean, they cross into Spain finally, and they meet these two heretics, Rodolphe and Francois. And they have this mule or a donkey all uh, these loaded guys. up with stuff okay. yeah. yeah these guys i think are 16th century these those other guys would be more recent because uh the 16th century was a time of crusades mentioned earlier and i think these guys are from that period okay and so they give him a gold coin to watch their donkey it's like meet us at this inn just a little ways up the road if we don't come back i guess you can keep it but don't worry, we will come back. <laughs> we'll most likely come back. 
yeah, we're definitely not going to do anything that would cause us to not come back. Yeah, so it's the time of the Spanish Inquisition. They go to a nearby village, and it's a couple hundred years ago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, and there's this bishop who's presiding over the hanging of a bunch of heretics and also the burning of the remains of his predecessor, the Bishop Carranzo of Toledo. Yeah, it's like, well, we found in your writings that you were saying some heretical stuff when you were alive. So we got to dig up your corpse and burn you a lot, like deal with you that way. Yeah, which uh, I don't know if. I, it's not clear if this actually happened, the burning of the bones, but uh, he definitely was denounced as a heretic because of stuff that he wrote before he was a bishop. <laughs> okay. Uh, so th this bishop, he says, dogma is basically absolute, uh, specifically the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are an eternal progression. That, right. Uh, it's, it's just all one thing. Are not all one thing. It's that they're. Uh, uh, it's the con. Uh, wait, wait, how do you call it? The um, con something. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the the exact terminology for this shit. But one of the heretics is like, "That's heresy. God is just one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all just names we give him." <laughs> and then they're like, "What?" Okay, let's get him. I love it. It cuts to the priest and he clutches his chest in shock at this <laughs> blasphemy. And it's, I almost can't distinguish the two statements from the other. Honestly, me neither. <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, but this priest sure could. <laughs> it's so hair splitting, but it is enough that these guys might be hanged with all of these other people and burned. Like, this yeah. is the sort of thing that they're burning this guy's bones for. <laughs> and that these guys were like, well, we'll risk our life to shout this out because it's that important to us. Yeah, one of the guys just has to shout it out and seize them. They they escape and they they escape to the future. They switch clothes with some modern <laughs> hunters that they pass <laughs> who are just out skinny dipping. <laughs> And one of them finds a rosary in his pocket, in the, in the pocket of one of the hunters. He's like, hey, check this out. He's like, what the fuck's that? He's like, oh, it's it's a papist thing. They they <laughs> they use it to uh, talk to the Virgin Mary or whatever. He's like, huh. they throw it in a tree and they shoot it with a shotgun. This is a super heretical thing to do. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I don't know my religious stuff, but even I could imagine. I can imagine the glee with which Buñuel set this up in a movie. <laughs> Because, you know, this is not long after Spain being, like, really intensely Catholic. He grew up under a very Catholic Spain. Oh, yeah. So they stay that night in a sheepfold where they're visited by the Virgin Mary herself, who has the rosary fully restored. It's a miracle. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the I, there, there's the two different guys. They sort of are a mirror of our other main pilgrims. And one's younger and one's older. And the younger one, he's totally overwhelmed by the miracle. He he becomes a believer. Mm -hmm. And then we go to, we get to the inn where our pilgrims are being harassed by cops. Obviously, of course. Like <laughs> you got papers. Your papers seem to be in order, but I still think I should bully you. Make yeah, sure like, you're not here by morning. 
Yeah, definitely leave. You you can't stay here. I, I don't even care how uh, much you're allowed to be here. Holy pilgrimage. <laughs> Let's talk to this priest. He seems like he's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the heretics show up. And clothes make the man. So they're totally accepted. You know, they're well-dressed. They've got, they've probably got money. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> those are, those are the clothes that money people might wear. So they go to talk to the priest who's sitting by the fire and he, you know, they, they tell about the miracle that they saw, how the Virgin approached them with the rosary. And the priest's like, everybody gather around. I want to tell you a story about miracles. <laughs> <laughs> how do magnets work <laughs> motherfucking miracles so this is a story that happened long ago at a nearby Carmelite convent uh, there's this nun who is devout who was seduced by a man so she left the key to the convent safe uh, right at the virgin's feet and fled years later she comes back and she goes to pray to the Virgin before she returns. And there at her feet is the key to the convent. And she goes back and they didn't realize she was missing at all. The Virgin took her form and I can't explain. It made me laugh so hard because it's the silliest, most overt, ridiculous. It's like the you know the the why is there only one set of footprints and oh in those years i was carrying you it's the most ridiculous and silly version of it. it's like ah, i couldn't go into work so i left the key with the virgin and she took my shift for me <laughs> <laughs> and she's been doing it for however many years been doing it for years she's just like clocked in every day <laughs> <laughs> and then i came back in and they wanted to give me a new job that they taught the virgin how to do and i didn't know how to do it oh, and then i woke I, up <laughs> yeah i laughed so hard at that that was like <laughs> the, the reveal of that just like are you kidding me is that <laughs> it's like the that's, whole time that's the a beautiful is, miracle <laughs> the whole time the priest is telling this like it's like he's gonna tell you some profound deep truth he's like are you listening to this part this is yeah the there's listening? so many so many sections where he has to pause and he's like uh, excuse me and that uh, oh excuse me and that this and this is important and, uh, like, and he's like looking directly it. into the camera it takes him <laughs> yeah. a long time to tell this story this guy is sort of the perfect emblem of the church in the modern day <laughs> as far like I, I would say specifically spanish priests in the modern day according to buniel this is the sort of priest he grew up having to deal with i think <laughs> oh yeah because our our priest isn't done after he's done telling the story. Oh, of course not. But first, the, the heretics go to bed. Yeah. They're taken to their rooms. Our guys have to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're, the We're not they're, really following them right now. <laughs> no. We, I thought for a second that we just switched main characters. Yeah. I mean, it could totally happen in this. It could. And we do spend a lot of time with these two guys. Fair amount of time. So the innkeeper takes him to the room and this weird thing that he does, he gets a lit lantern and he puts it in a cabinet and closes it, which, you know, it's a direct uh, biblical thing. Like, don't put your light under a bushel, put it on a candlestick so that it's usable. And it's supposed to be metaphorical that you <laughs> use your 
skills and don't just hide them away. You know, you okay, that's use them to benefit about. people around you. Uh, <laughs> whereas they've just, it's so literal. And it's like, <laughs> why would you even do that? Why would anyone put a candle in a thing that's stupid? <laughs> but the innkeeper is like, well, oh. why do you think what I did was stupid? Oh, I, I can't believe it. So they have they have to be in separate rooms after yep. this happens. I, I, I it feels I like guess. there's there there's an undercurrent of wanting to separate them potentially sexually, and obviously we have this weird thing where each of them ends up with this other partner in a separate bed because it's like we could just one room's fine. There's two beds. I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. And also, don't let anyone in after we close these doors. Not even me. <laughs> I think he just warns that to every guest uh, when the priest is there. Well, it's weird. It feels like the start to a fable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the basic setup for a fable. It's just we're we're sort of seeing this priest enact a weird sort of... <laughs> <laughs> cock blocking fable <laughs> or, or i thought it was kind of like boris karloff in um, black sabbath it's like if i'm late more than seven days don't let me in not even me maybe doesn't really so, go in that direction so the the younger guy he's in this one room and there's a woman who appears in the other bed and he's the dude who now believes in the virgin so yeah. he's kind of more receptive to the priest while the other guy's just cleaning his gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, some masturbation symbology there, obviously. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Yep, I see it now. Whereas the other guy, he's potentially going to be with the woman. Uh, and both of these things are not going to be allowed. We're going to have to have the priest come talk to both of them and drone them. <laughs> and make that not okay. No yep. sexuality is allowed. No sex. <laughs> <laughs> no sex. Uh, so the, the priest, he shows up and he's like, can I come in? I, I just want to talk to you a bit about the miracle stuff we were talking about earlier. And just let me into the room. I was like, no, no, we're, we're fine. We can hear you. Okay. But I just remembered like eight different things about the story that I need to elaborate on. Yeah. And it's this fun thing where he's talking about the concept of the virgin as eternally pure and remaining virginal, even through birth, uh, uh, the the lady the I don't know imaginary lady says like thought springs from the brain and the guy it's it's like them in Sunday school it's like oh we're we're supposed to shout out answers it's like uh like sun goes through a window pane <laughs> <laughs> how Jesus passed through uh the the through Mary's virginity weird <laughs> all right <laughs> like oh okay and the priest is like that's perfect that's great. Uh, and he's just droning on and on and on. So nobody can that he do makes, anything. <laughs> I love that he makes the innkeeper get him a chair and he's just parked outside their door. <laughs> like, oh, can you also go get me some water? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, here for a bit. Yeah. And occasionally he appears in the room with them. Like once in a while, he's actually in the room with them. And then you know, they'll cut and he'll again be outside, like when they're really involved in the discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so he talks about um, uh, sin and virginity and 
he basically just ruins the mood. (laughs) 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 He's just going on and on and on like, oh, virginity and sin. And, you know, it's good to be a virgin and uh, that, uh, you know, you're never supposed to be with a woman. And the heretic's like, oh, what about marriage? Like if we were to get married first? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's good. But, but it's also, you know, Apostle Paul said, you know, women weaken legs. <laughs> uh, no one's without sin, ultimately. He gets to just, I mean, everybody's sinful. It's like, well, what about the virgin? Oh, yeah, I mean, even the virgin. I heard that sometimes she thought she was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they finally like, okay, we're tired. We can't do this anymore. We're going to sleep. So sex averted he can move on to the next room (laughs) all right i've just bothered your friend now i'm gonna bother you no i've heard everything it's like i i heard all of it you don't need to repeat it and there's this other dude in the bed next to him (laughs) (laughs) uh and uh the 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 priest is like well all right fine i guess i'll leave then and he walks away and there's a sword in the the hallway it's like oh here's your sword oh i guess i'll need that (laughs) (laughs) so the second heretic he's in his uh in in his uh in his room and there's this other guy in the second bed he's like "Ah, my hatred of science and technology will lead me one day to an absurd belief in god So like it's it's two different philosophies. The one guy he sort of embraces the religion. The other guy he is sort of anti-modernity. It's it's sort of the uh, like he's he's going to end up at religion just because he hates everything else. <laughs> so our uh, Jean, our, our pilgrim, we we shockingly it's like oh hey these guys again. He steals <laughs> this this thing of prosciutto. <laughs> right oh yeah i forgot he steals like the the meat from the kitchen of the inn yeah so he takes off with that and they're immediately caught by the gendarmes from earlier who were already like harassing them Mm -hmm. they're like hey we bought it it was cheap too like oh well why didn't you say that Uh, i guess be on your way they're (laughs) they're just immediately believed because they're taken on faith yep this is an illustration of faith (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) everybody's filled fulfilled the function that they have to do uh the reality and truth of it are irrelevant everyone just needs to go through the motions of saying the right things okay i yeah so all right that's why he believed right away because he said the right thing this time yeah he's like oh well we paid for it and uh it belongs to us and I mean, it doesn't make sense as we watch it because they're, it's still obviously suspect and they're not going to follow up or find the truth of anything because they take it on faith, mm-hmm. uh, which usually people are not doing in this movie. Usually people do not do in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's also the way that uh, people who have a very religiously strict frame of mind tend to approach logic. Okay. Like, uh, you know, politically, this is a big problem in politics. Uh, People who want to uh, have a narrative, and it really doesn't matter what the truth in the narrative is, how the feeling of the narrative is. Mm -hmm. 
So on the, the outskirts of Santiago. They uh, made it. They're there. And there's this woman in a car who's going the other way. And she calls <laughs> him over. And she's like, pilgrims, pilgrimage. That's so passe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go roll around in the grass. He's like, there's nobody there. If you go to all of the, if you want to go to that church, I mean, you can go, but there's not going to be anyone there. They found out like a hundred years ago that it was this guy, Priscillian, who was uh, the, in, in the tomb. It, it wasn't even uh, an apostle at all. He's some kind of sex guy. <laughs> <laughs> of the sexian sect. Yeah. It's like, let's go frolic in the grass instead. Doesn't that seem more fun? You have money, right? <laughs> and like, yeah we do we we totally do and, and uh, the because uh pierre has the bills and jean has the gold coin oh yeah he has that coin yeah from like the from like the 1500s or whatever yeah he, he really got lucky there mm-hmm. so she's like i want you to give me a child and i'm gonna name him you are not my people and uh the uh, Pierre is like, well, what if you have a child with me? It's like, I'll name that one No More Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just like, feel cool. like these kids are going to get made fun of in school. And he's like, all right, well, I guess we're done this pilgrimage. It didn't work out. <laughs> Let's go have sex. And they pass these two blind beggars who we, we again just like travel back thousands of years. Yep. And they run into Jesus, these two blind beggars, and he cures them. He cures their blindness. And they're <laughs> so disoriented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is like, all right, guys, everybody just needs to keep this on the down low. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a secret. I'm like, why, Jesus? You used to perform miracles publicly all the time. It's like, hey, listen, I want everyone to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I want here a to fucking bring- revolution. I'm not here to bring world peace. I'm here to bring the sword. Yeah. I'm, and, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, w- w- whatever made you think that I just wanted everyone to get along and be peaceful. I want to fuck people up. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to love me more than you love your children, your sons, your daughters, your mothers. And meanwhile, the blind guys are like, Jesus, show us what the color black looks like. Yeah, they're like, this is so weird. I don't know what any of these things are. People seem so huge. Are they like trees? Are the trees people? What is any of this? And no one's paying any attention to them because they're all stunned by this. (laughs) What's what's that famous chick tract one? Like uh, the people were astonished by his doctrine. (laughs) Oh, oh. um, (laughs) Yeah, Jesus says something and it's like, the guy's just like, shut up. Yeah. People were astonished by his doctrine. Uh, the apostles, it's it's very much like the uh the, the thing earlier. They share a weird look. It's like, um, okay, I guess we'll just go along with that then. <laughs> yeah, cool. And they all start walking away, and it's the blind leading the blind, leading the blind. You know, because the, yeah. the these literally blind guys, they are no longer blind, but they have no frame of context and they're continuing. They're being led by these people who are also like, I guess we're just going to take this on faith then. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Uh, are we going to kill the are we going to rise up against the government? I don't know if I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they stumble off across the field and we watch their feet and 
all of them step over this crevasse. One of the blind men manages to, and then the other guy just gets left behind. <laughs> yep. And that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, there was a lot in that movie that just flew right over my head. It's uh, so good. <laughs> I think you have to have. Well, I mean, no, you don't, because I enjoyed it anyway. But it helps to have some knowledge of uh, the shit they're talking about. Yeah, it, it does help to have a little bit of theological knowledge on it because there's there's so much in these repetition of concepts like the trinity appearing in so many places or mm -hmm. uh, jesus being in multiple different forms in one scene yeah. <laughs> when he's also pierre <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it's a, it's a masterpiece i really love it i hmm, i don't know if i like this or exterminating angel more they're both great and they're both very unique yeah, they're pretty different from each other. Yeah. yeah. Um I don't know which one I like more either because they both they both do different things, but they both kind of question they both question society norms, but in a different different norms and in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is replaced in the stacks with another Luis Buñuel film. Okay. One from a few years later, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Oh, <laughs> this one kind of has an exterminating angel kind of setup where you have a bunch of rich people who show up to this lavish dinner party and they keep trying to sit down to dinner and just things keep interrupting them. <laughs> <laughs> and, like up to including an actual revolution passing through the living room. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> oh, right. Their living room and exterminating angels was like freaking yeah. mad max at one point <laughs> yeah uh it's great it's great this is what i've seen a bunch of times or at least a couple times before and it's awesome and so much fun oh man i'm definitely into that <laughs> all right so do you have any last thoughts on the milky way before we head on to part two um well i have many last thoughts and i would like to expand <laughs> on them in detail you see the host of the uh i don't the... really <laughs> I don't uh, the uh, anathema upon you. <laughs> uh, on to part two, and we're back for part two War of the Worlds Next Century, a 1981 film by Pyotr Shulkin, uh, who did uh, Golem that we covered a few weeks ago. Yes, uh, Golem, uh, also part of, uh, sort of loosely considered the Apocalypse Tetralogy, I suppose. That's what the title of the book, uh, the box set is. Uh, we have not, an interesting apocalypse in this one. Yeah, the, these they're not directly related, but they're definitely spiritually related. Mm -hmm. This one's, uh, I, you know, as, as we were saying in the previous one, we... we uh, previewed this a little bit it's very uh it, it's about fascism <laughs> <laughs> it sure is <laughs> uh and it, it's like it was definitely also talking about sort of the current stare station of uh poland it was banned in poland when it came out oh interesting <laughs> uh because you know they, they also had just left the soviet union and stalin and everything so it's uh you know it's it's echoing that the mm -hmm. transition into that from 
being occupied oh. by Germany. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the ending just made like a thousand times more sense to me. You just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, the sort of a transition point. Uh, which is what makes this movie so infuriating, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> but like you get to the end, you're so mad. It's just like ah, I feel this. It's it's too real. Yeah, like our poor guy is just he's been spending the whole movie getting gaslit, and then at the end, he's just he thinks he's done the right thing, and it's like oh no, well he's actually it. Ah, he, <laughs> the universe hates Iron Edom. Well, that would certainly be the uh, deist explanation, the, well, the fate yeah. version of it. Uh, it's it's more that he's trapped in a bad system, but it's a system that he's helped to perpetuate. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get a very clear idea of who he, uh, this the sort of politics he had prior to the Martians, because we were very, it's, it's an in medias res kind of movie, but he's obviously a populist. He's got an Alex Jones type TV show. That's who he kind of reminded me of, and I was—I would have been curious to hear what his show was like before all this happened. Because he—he's clearly a populist. You know, it's—it's it's someone who—it's it, why the aliens are interested in him. And it's what they—they uh, say they admire his optimism. Although they speak, they're everything the aliens say is double speak. They're backwards. Yeah. They have an evil backwards philosophy. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, we don't really hear the aliens say anything at all. Everything we hear them say comes from humans. There's the one time we we uh, have that one alien that he has the encounter with directly. Oh, yes. Who, yes. It, it's clear that the philosophy that the humans are parroting is accurate to the way they view things. It's just, I feel that it it is the faith argument as well. Uh, they're they're just kind of agreeing with it without really considering the consequences of what it entails. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, their their philosophy seems to, like they they seem to love destruction. Uh, every, when they say something like friendship, it. <laughs> it doesn't mean friendship. <laughs> no. like, they describe irony dem as optimistic i feel like his show was probably loudly rallying but i think optimistic is not the word anyone would have used to describe it you know i feel like maybe again it's the alex jones thing or the or, or estes perkle thing in 24 months communism's <laughs> going to take over america unless we have a revival <laughs> well this it only took about 12 days yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it took twelve days, but it seems not at all un not not at all uh, different from the Nazi invasion of Poland in nineteen thirty eight, because they have these sequences where they're talking about well, the the whole eyes of the world are on us right now, which makes it clear that it, the world hasn't been taken over, just Poland. Yeah, that's interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what happened in 1938. Germany invaded Poland, and they just kind of sat there and said, "Like, okay, are we going to allow? Are we going to be allowed to do this?" And they <laughs> started exterminating people, and they uh, set up a bunch of stuff, and then then they expanded further. And you know, it, it is what started the war, but it's also it was the first step, and they stayed there longer than anywhere else. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> Uh, this 
mirrors yeah this mirror is like the nazi invasion of poland uncomfortably closely there's yeah, yeah. It's th- upsetting. there's camps there's uh not you, you get numbered registration um, yeah they get the tag in the ear for friendship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an award be proud to show yours off don't try to hide it yeah i mean you wouldn't want to hide it you kind of need it it's 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 how you know you're allowed to live (laughs) now fill out this life permit yeah that's (laughs) and just all of it uh yeah the i mean poland the warsaw ghetto is a pretty uh horrifying thing you know because they had like a really massive uh jewish population they had a really ancient jewish population was very heavily developed had Mm -hmm. its own subculture that was kind of erased by this yeah yeah uh there's this movie a film unfinished that i've seen that it was a documentary that was made by people living in the ghetto uh as the nazis took over and just it, it was uh I mean, obviously, it's a film unfinished. They found it in a Nazi archive. Oh, oh uh, gosh! <laughs> so there, there is like a documentary with all of the footage from the film that was unfinished, and it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's extremely haunting. So that was the top thing on my mind when I was watching this because oh, uh, it echoes it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we start well. We actually start with a dedication to H.G. Wells and Orson Wells, important figures for War of the Worlds. Both uh, very. H.G. Uh, Wells, of course, the author of the original War of the Worlds novel, which this isn't all that based on. There's elements of it. <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't read War of the Worlds, but I I kind of sort of know how the story goes. Plot wise, this doesn't have a lot from it, but just some concepts it, it's sort of uh operating in some of the same ideas uh in both of them the martians have come to earth to get human blood that they they drink human blood the blood is great yeah yeah that's what we they want. want your love and blood of course in like war of the worlds uh, or there's obviously the big spielberg adaptation there's the 50s one both pretty good uh the they have just like these big tripod machines that they capture humans and then process them into blood in oh, that yeah. version. <laughs> right some of the matrix machines are kind of based on that it's, it's, oh, a, cool, it's absolutely. a cool spooky design yeah yeah uh this one they just kind of have you register forcibly have everyone register <laughs> <laughs> you are your obligatory voluntary registration <laughs> yeah uh, it's totally voluntary but it is obligatory everybody has to do it and uh you know, if you don't have it done, you could have some serious trouble. Uh, <laughs> if you inform on people who don't have it done, we might be able to give you a bonus. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be a problem citizen, though, do you? And I guess that's the most amazing thing about this film is how well it sells the idea that uh, the aliens aren't really the real menace. They they no. are at no point. <laughs> the, the aliens are not intimidating in the slightest. They're tiny. They're these little silver dudes. <laughs> yeah. They're, <laughs> they're no, very they're... mean. They like destroying things. Yeah, but they... The, the real menace is the humans who have just been looking for an excuse to treat each other this way. Yeah, the collaborators. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of people who were just waiting. 
just waiting for an opportunity, a power vacuum, a space where they can step in and they can be the ones wearing the boot. Mm -hmm. They spent all this time licking it. They're sure this is their opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like, hey, if I join the leopards eating faces party, I probably won't get my face eaten. Yeah, I mean, I don't even, it doesn't seem like they even feel that they are safe in any way. It's just, they are relishing the opportunity to be on top. Because it, it is a situation where it's a perpetuation. Certainly at the end, the people who are in charge at the beginning are still in charge at the end. It's just, yeah. they've surfed the current. They knew how to hold on to their power and they just kind of were willing to destroy everything around them to do, to hold on to what they had. Yeah. Uh, the plan to, there was already a plan in face in place to transfer over to yeah. a fascist system. Yes. So, uh, there, there were a whole bunch of people who had their plans and who were ready to sign up immediately. The aliens coming was just like, okay, this is the time we're going to do it. It was going to be something, but, this time it's this. Right. And it it's right from the opening moments of the movie where you have the kid harassing the other kid, being, you know, playing Martian and human, and the the kid playing the Martian is the one putting the boot to the kid walking on all fours in the snow. Yeah. And it's uh it's it's reflecting the political system all the way down into the way children play with each other. It's the they're just there's a readiness to uh, develop into these systems, uh, these power dynamics. Yeah, yeah. And then when he questions it, the kid's like, "Well, uh, Iron Eden is like, hey, well, what if the what if this kid fought back and like beat you up?" And he's like, "What are you talking about? I'm the Martian. He's the human. I win." <laughs> yeah, I'm the one in charge. I, I've I'm in the oppressor role. Yeah, <laughs> I've taken like... the oppressor role. You see, and the other yeah. kid's like. Please just leave us alone. He's just going to beat me up more if you <laughs> don't let him beat me up now. Yeah, yeah, basically. Just just let this happen. This is the best outcome for me right now. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we find out uh, that the Martian, the Martians have only been here 12 days. Yeah. We're we're right before New Year's, right? It's right after Christmas. Uh, yeah, the twenty eighth of December. Yeah, and uh, Iron Eden was about to have a couple of the worst days of his life. Yeah, a uh, couple of real shitty days. Uh, yeah, he goes into work. Yep he he has like this. I, I I don't know what the yeah like I guess you could call it like an Infowars type show. It looks cheesy, but probably. In 1981, in you know the Eastern Bloc, it probably looked kind of jazzy. I think it looks awesome, honestly. Oh yeah, no, it's totally got such a classic-looking vibe now. It's got that great retro 80s feel to it with the neon background and everything. But yeah, like the pinks and blues. Yeah. Oh, it's man. just it's very limited though, and it looks cheap. It's clearly like a local news show. <laughs> <laughs> But like, but it's 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 the 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 entertainment news, yeah. more more uh, incisively. It is he is not uh, someone who reports the news. He's someone who interprets the news for the people. Yeah, uh, he's a 
quote-unquote independent journalist an independent journalist exactly <laughs> yeah uh we will very we will learn very quickly that that is absolutely not true no and this is why i'd say entertainment journalist is is the real uh real proper title there <laughs> yeah so he sits at his desk he puts on his wig um so it's a big, he, ridiculous blonde wig that he wears when he is in his TV role. It's like a He-Man wig. It's Yeah, it's He-Man-esque. It, it makes, when it shows just his face from like the shoulders up uh, with the wig, it makes him look like this big buff dude. Yeah, it completely it, transforms him. It's great. It's, it's pretty clever. Yeah. Uh, like... <laughs> and he has this way of just like staring down the camera and grinning and just delivering absurd things that because he, he, he's given a d- new script yes they, they uh, like here's your script it's like i have my own script excuse me i'm an like, independent journalist <laughs> oh yeah no here's the new version of it oh. uh, uh what if i don't want to read that it's like maybe you should speak to the boss yeah and uh, you'll read it <laughs> yeah you will read it uh his boss kind of just his boss is the worst oh man <laughs> his boss is the ultimate middle management functionary who is holding on to his power his boss uh is 100 percent. Uh, i don't know like have you read 19 you must have read 1984 long time ago yeah yeah uh his boss is 100 percent uh the main character's boss in that uh book mm. he's yeah he's like yeah i act like i'm hot shit but i'm a middle management guy but i'm ride or die for this government system for any government system that allows me to maintain the power that i have he yes. he rides through each government system <laughs> yeah yeah that's right he, he he is never in danger yeah uh because he's just like yep i know how to just rain death up down upon people below me and just follow orders for uh, the people above me the perfect bootlicker and played by the perfect guy too he played holtram in Gollum. Uh, yeah i've got his name here i've got it too uh marius dmachowski uh oh you did so much better than i would have done <laughs> uh, uh we won't do what i was gonna say i i uh, i have a ukrainian background i do know okay. I, I can i can speak these words uh yeah i think he's i'm pretty sure he's gonna be like one of the bad guys in all of these <laughs> He, he's just really good at being a bad guy. I have seen him in some other stuff, too. Uh, there's this movie, Camouflage, that's really excellent from the 70s. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah, he seems like a pretty major Polish actor. Uh, it's definitely some of these. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so Edom reads the uh, the new version of the report that's like aliens are our friends uh make sure you go do your mandatory voluntary blood donating and get your blood card registered uh yeah and he sure- he delivers all of this in this extremely chipper big gr- square gin square grin sort of way and there's just like tears in his eyes the whole time oh they, yeah. they don't, they're not communicated by the video like you you see the video feed and he just looks intense but when you see 
the the like film version you get up close and it's like he's just shattered behind the eyes <laughs> yeah um he talks about the proof of friendship which is a thing you can apply for to get a a, a life permit and, and all this other stuff and he's like you must trust me you can trust me you will trust me <laughs> yeah uh it's i mean it's it's fascism <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a really straight fascism <laughs> And he goes to talk to the producer. He's like, hey, man, I don't like this. And producer's like, you don't yeah, I mean, have to read it. Yeah, I mean, you you could refuse to read it. I it's wouldn't, live. I wouldn't be able to stop you. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, you you do realize that that wouldn't be great for you. You're, there's an implicit threat, you understand. <laughs> there's the truth. Yeah. Mm. Or the truth. The truth. Yeah, he's he's given him a Lionel Hutz uh, sort of uh, coaching, but much more threatening. <laughs> oh yeah, he basically he straight up says to him like, "You're an independent news guy, and my job is to control you." Yeah, I I need to. Uh, you you are a valuable playing piece. People listen to you, and they'll do what you say because they think you speak for them. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, you know what? If you could talk about whatever you want, what would you want to talk about? What's going on (laughs) in the streets? Oh, traffic. Good idea, actually. Yeah, he's obviously there has been an issue with uh, the Martians assaulting people and like blowing up cars and just wrecking streets. You know, they're clearly, as we see when they destroy his own apartment, uh, they like to wreck places up. So, it's likely that they've just been roving around town knocking cars over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know what? We could spend that. Uh, the, the stuff that's happening in the streets. We'll just say you need to really be aware of the Martians' needs in terms of traffic, vis-a-vis traffic. Just to give them, give them a wide berth. You know, they're they're new to our culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh man, how he spent after the broadcast, how he spends like a solid minute with just his head in his hands on at his desk. Yeah. While the yeah. poppy jazzy ode <laughs> to Martians is yeah. playing. Oh, that's funny. There's that rock band that has popped up overnight to just play pro Martian songs. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news, they have a new music video. Yeah, that was pretty funny. That, that was a good oh. bit to really update it to the eighties. I, and I feel like I, I didn't look this one up, but I feel like it might be the same band uh, that shows up in Gollum again. It very well could be, yeah. I can't or remember. Or at least the, the same frontman. It, yeah, very likely. I can't remember who they are because they they're very briefly in Gollum, so he may yeah. have had all of these in mind. They're they're all made very close together. Uh, the the crazy old man in this, I'm pretty sure, is the same guy too. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. A lot of the same cast. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he now he has to cover traffic accidents. <laughs> yeah, not so much cover traffic accidents as no, uh, uh, just apologize, <laughs> and not even apologize. Yeah. Warn, warn people. Yeah, there's yeah. gonna be some traffic accidents. Just yeah. uh, try gonna, to. <laughs> it'll be on you. So be <laughs> careful. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, but at least work is over and he gets to go home to his beautiful wife. Uh, yeah, who also was in the previous one. She was Rosina in Gola. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't. The wife does. The wife is in it yeah. for such a short amount of time. I did not notice. As far as I know, she may play the exact same character in the second one, or the next oh. one rather. Uh, she she has the same character name in Obi Oba. She's Gia in both of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen her in lots of stuff. She's I like that. That's just why I was able to recognize her. Christina Janda. She's in tons of things. I, I've seen all sorts of stuff that she's in. That's interesting. I thought Gia was the sex worker's name. Um, I think they're both played by the same character. I, I, that's I think they're both played by the same actress. Oh, uh, that's as far really as I know. interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain because that's why uh, they sent her because she looks so much alike that she's literally oh, the same. That makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I might have the wrong Golem. She is in the previous. She is in Golem. Rosina is a character she played in a 1980 film called Golem. Oh. But 1979 Golem, I think maybe that just Wikipedia has shit mixed up. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but yeah, I, I recognize that. She's also in Decalogue, uh, a couple of the episodes of the Decalogue, which is really great work of art. And there's Mephisto uh, by uh, Istvan Zabo, which is really awesome. She's a major character in that. Cool, cool. So, uh, um, yeah, we're not going to see a whole lot of her in this one because uh, she's only in this one scene. <laughs> well, she, she was in, in the, that first scene earlier. Yeah, but she didn't get to say or do anything, and she's not going to get to say or do anything here either because they get swatted immediately. Yeah, uh, they they immediately just zip her up in a bag, and then she's just gone in this bag. That's it for her. Yep, and the SWAT team who had just chainsawed through the door is just smashing everything while aliens are graffitiing all his paintings. <laughs> the aliens are... This, for me, is, like, the most uh, just fun, parodic element of the movie. I, again, just <laughs> considering that they are sort of metaphorically echoing the Nazis, that they're these tiny little guys in leather jackets and these, <laughs> you know, tough guy suits, and they just like to spray paint and break shit and they you know they always speak in double speak everything is you know they they when I, he says something about the like when when one of them gets beaten and he's all bloody he refers to it as candy yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they just have a, a, a philosophy that's so backwards from one that's understandable that they just live at opposite to any rational person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he, he's asking the main guard, like, hey, well, what, what exactly do you guys want from me? Love. Yeah, and they, they, they attach the tag to his ear, which is like a cattle tag. It is. With a number designation, too. Like, yeah. Real... Yeah, that's and that's the proof of friendship that he was talking about, that he was promoting mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Which uh, he now has. Yep, he now has that. <laughs> and it's like, all right, we want you to love the Martians. Uh, now you got this, you love them a little more. That's good. Yeah. Keep it up. It's like, what? what is it that you want from us? Just love. <laughs> they, they want adoration. They, they want to be worshipped. Uh, yep. And they also want everyone to comply. 
That's really the main thing. You, you got to comply. We need that blood, uh, the the blood of love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they take care. There's like t- 10 guards in here. They take care to smash every single thing. They destroy everything in his home. And then they, uh, they do a Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, against him. Yeah. Citizen Kane, yeah. he did it to himself. Well, yeah. A little different. <laughs> he needs to tell me was out, too. <laughs> uh so, so yeah they wreck up the place and they take away his wife and it's like okay now go uh talk about how great we are on tv <laughs> <laughs> well now that we gave you the proof of friendship you have to go get registered right this moment yeah and the man at the registry office what a dick <laughs> oh my god he's a fan of the show <laughs> yeah and he is just the perfect fucking obnoxious functionary I hate yep. this guy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he, he's first. He's like, "Oh man, I love your show. Here, would you like a cookie?" Um, no, I just want to get this over it. All right, I will. I will. I will. Yeah, don't you think it's great though? Come on, you've got the friendship. Why didn't you say that? It's a great honor. You should be you're, proud. You're, you're hiding your tag with the collar of your jacket. I have an ear infection. Don't yeah, and worry about that. Everything in the way he talks, all of the questions he asks, it has this tone of him looking for things that he can use to report or that he can hold above someone. Yeah. Like there, there's this constant position of him looking for points of weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like towards the end, he's like, all right, here's your ID. You'll add a picture to it, right? Uh, yeah, I will. Oh, 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 oh. How do I know I can trust people these days, you know? <laughs> Maybe I should just wait until you do get the picture. He's like, I kind of need that to live. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I guess, guess. I, can, I can make an exception just this once because I'm so great. <laughs> but you will get a picture, though. And all right, now traditionally we sing the national anthem, but we, can we don't have to that do that this, case. this yeah. time. All right, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. All right, go. <laughs> it's like and I was then, hoping I could find out about my wife, and it's like I don't deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is, oh, does she want to register too? No. Oh, then I don't. It's like get, I, get, then I can't help you. I'm I'm just the register guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then. We're not done with him, this fucking asshole. He follows him out. <laughs> what a He's like, listen, I couldn't say anything back there, but don't you think these Martians are dicks? Yeah. Don't you think Christianity is stupid? Wouldn't you like to just step on this painting of Jesus for a second? Uh, <laughs> I won't tell anyone. <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> please leave me alone. I hate you. <laughs> You are an agent provocateur trying to get me to rat on, trying to get me to out myself. You got me. He's like, uh, you got me. You got me. I didn't really mean it. Nobody saw me say it. I, I, I'm just going to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, uh, what a slimy asshole. Yep. <laughs> and as he leaves the place, we meet the uh, the crazy old man who... Right also hates the system he's the only other one who does but he's a madman 
he is kind of actually a madman in this. Well, he has he some right ideas, is. but he's not well. He's not well, and he cannot execute what he wants to do. No, he does make a real uh, proper attempt of it at the end, but it doesn't yeah. go well for him. And he, he becomes, you know, he becomes a hero, I guess, in his own way. <laughs> He's, yeah, he does. Uh, but yeah, he tries to get him to throw a brick at the TV, which he does. And then that just turns it on so that we've got the poppy jazz music. Yeah, there's there's this uh, outdoor TV viewing area with megaphones above it. That there's like some seats around in the town square where people can sit and be uh, yelled at by the TV all day, mm-hmm. in, just in case they don't have one at home or that their home has been uh, taken and that they've been evicted. Because a lot of people seem to be in that situation right now. Yeah, but you know, at least those people can get their TV. TV is uh, a right. <laughs> a right. Oh, I'd say it's more than that. I'd say it's a responsibility. It, yeah, it's obligatory. It's mandatory. Mandatory television. And yeah, the guy's like, I just throw this brick. I'm like, oh, man, I really don't want to. Just throw it. And he throws it and it skids over the top and it turns them on. And, uh, you know, the uh, droning goes on. And he, he, like, he does the thing he was doing at his desk. He, like, puts his hands on his head and he's, like, gets out of there. Like, <laughs> it's Charlie Brown esque. <laughs> Back at the producer's office, the producer has another great idea. You should actually write your own scripts because you're good at it. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing it all along. You just, you need to write them from the perspective that we have. You you know what's established. Just yeah, write so. them and you know how to do it better than I do. <laughs> yeah, so what message do you want me to give? Oh, I think I trust your judgment on this matter. I have like- faith in you. Wallace Beery, wrestling picture. Do I have to draw you a map? <laughs> Come on. Okay, but but how about my wife though? And yeah. he's like, I'll I'll mm. look into it. <laughs> yeah, like listen, you, you they say that the way to get what you want is to really want it, but what it really is is you gotta be afraid. Are yeah. you? Are you afraid? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty afraid. <laughs> he's like. Yeah. Mm. Not yet. <laughs> Not afraid enough. We, yeah. We've got to grind the boot quite a bit more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this fucking guy. He is so good at playing assholes. Mm-hmm. He uh, is very so he, frightening. He has like, uh, he, he has a real plutocrat face. That's... He's, he's, <laughs> he looks like a dude who would be in a huge pinstripe business suit on like Wall Street in like the day before the crash. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> At the lobby to his apartment, he has been helpfully informed that he doesn't live there anymore. I mean, his stuff's already been destroyed, too. Oh yeah, yeah. and also, his fucking... The, the guy who works the door at the... I don't know, oh, the manager the... of his apartment building. What an asshole this guy is. He's another immediate collaborator. He's like, I've been waiting for this. Oh, I wanted to <laughs> grind everyone under the boot. Yeah, it's like, oh, right. Well, you can't go there. You were being a very bad tenant by smashing all your things and being very loud. I got a lot of complaints about you, <laughs> this thing that you did. There was all this screaming and, you know, someone was taken away in a bag. Uh, the Martians did that. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It was, yeah. So, so you can't even go up there. And and as he makes a break for the elevator, the dude points at a walkie-talkie he's got like strapped to his chest. He's like, ah. He's like, mm, I I will tell them. <laughs> yeah. So Edeb grabs the dude who is completely flabbergasted that this is happening to him. He's like, you're below me? And this is happening? I can't believe you're resisting. Yeah, it just smashes his radio and he's like, uh, um, okay, well, I'll pretend that I just tripped and fell, but you still have to follow the government rules, man. Here's Here's your mandatory TV. Take it with you. Yeah. Take this TV and leave. Go find a place to sleep. No, and no. I don't I'm have to give t- you the TV. I could have kept it for myself. Yeah, I'm that's gonna right. Be, I'm going to be, you know, gracious and give it to you. And he's like, actually, no, keep it for yourself for your exemplary service. Yeah. I he just don't pushes want him it. on the ground. Yeah. So th- he has to find a place to sleep. And he sees how. Uh, the the system has been just like there's no social safety net. Uh, I, all of society is in complete freefall. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we we don't get to the shelter just yet, and his uh, whole journey to find sleep. No, him uh, just wandering through the streets first and seeing just people wrecked. Everything's yeah, fucked. Like, there's there's like like uh, barbed wire checkpoints everywhere that everybody's got to line up single file for. So that they can uh, get their blood typed, and they, there's also lots of uh, mobile blood unit trucks because you gotta donate blood. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's voluntary. You donate blood voluntarily. The loudspeaker will tell you. Yeah, and if you know someone who hasn't done any of their voluntary donations, you can report them and get. An extra, like, I, I think by that, that's later on when you can get the, like a free ticket to the later. event. Yeah. <laughs> this is just more like, you know, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Here it's just establishing it as this is the new rule. Yeah. 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 This is before they're like hauling pe- that like elderly man in a chair to them so that they can drain him <laughs> of blood. Uh, and on his show, he's saying things like, all right, it's the. It's it's now 13 days that the Martians have been here, and I'm just realizing all this happened in one day to this guy. Yeah. It's a rough night. Yeah, and he's still got to do his show. Like, hey, nobody important died. There's nothing you need to worry about there. Just some traffic accidents. Yeah. Uh, be careful of the Martians in the streets. They're, they're learning our ways. That's all. And also, there is... No need for you to try to learn their language because they've mastered yours, so you can tell them all your deepest secrets in English. Well, I guess it would be in Polish, but the subtitle said English. Yeah. He's he's still got to do this show while he's wandering around homeless. Uh, he ends up going to a bar where he finds the sex worker who, I yeah, I guess she looks just like his wife. Looks exactly like her. And, and I think is... Name. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain it's the same actress. Maybe not, but um, yeah, probably. She basically gets him to go up to her punch clock hotel room. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, this is her job. This is the yep. the thing that she has to do in society. Uh, and he just wants to sleep. He's like, 
you can't pay enough for that. <laughs> yeah. Sleep. No, 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 no. Sleep is, is a more than, uh, uh, the it's worth more than what you're, you're paying me for. It's like, man, I don't want to have sex. I'm too tired. <laughs> yeah. So he's back on the, he's like, okay, so throw me out then. smash cut to him in the streets. Yeah. And he, uh, is this where you where he goes to the shelter, which is just uh, yeah? This is where he gets stopped by the guards. It's like you have a shelter permit and you're not using it. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to go? I want to go to the shelter. <laughs> yeah, you do. So they, they like direct him to it. Yeah. Oh no, they they drive him there and take the his watch is fair. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> The shelter is just just like rows and rows and rows of bunk beds. Yeah, you know what it looks like. Uh looks like a a lot of like a camp, but like a lot of people just concentrated really close together. Yeah, it's the bunk beds and the wooden space. It's uh, very familiar. I, I yeah. think uh necessarily echoing that. So yeah, mm-hmm. there he's placed into this sort of concentration camp and everybody is very suspicious and it's almost like it's run by the military you have to constantly be doing stuff here yeah yeah like you have your mandatory sleeping hours but then you got to get up and you have to exercise you must i mean it's good for the blood oh yeah and uh keep that blood circulating and donating blood is voluntary but if you don't donate blood you can't have breakfast and if right. you can't have breakfast, you can't donate more blood, which means you can't have more breakfast, which yeah. means. I mean, you, you got to have that food to generate the blood. And I mean, if you're not going to be generating the blood, if you, why would we be giving you food? Yeah. <laughs> you no longer serve a purpose in our society. You donate blood voluntarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's refusing to exercise. Uh, he also encounters the crazy old man in the bunk above him. Right, who's still got plans of revolution, but he's being really cagey about it now. And at this point, Idem is like, I don't know if I can say anything to anyone. <laughs> so, yeah. Do I even trust this guy? Yeah, the guy calls him a glass condom. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so he's like, whose brains have you devoured tonight, you glass condom? Or just my own. You do understand then. Yeah, he he finally gets that he has been turned, that uh, the things that he's experienced have radicalized him, uh, even if he's currently catatonic. So he knows that later on he can approach him for revolutionary ideals, but it still doesn't work out because the guy's still catatonic. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, he refuses to exercise, and the guy... uh, Him and the orderlies get into a fight over it before he's just tossed out right into the snowbank yeah he is ejected from the shelter uh and uh, there's other people out there (laughs) yeah society has completely crumbled oh oh we passed over the confession dream oh yeah uh when he goes to confession and i didn't realize this was a dream at first so i'm like oh i'm sure this will be a completely safe confession booth but yeah he's like i'm I, I know you can't help me, but you can listen. I'm doing all this stuff, and it's against everything I believe in, but can you please just give me the one word that makes it okay? The one word! And 
he opens up the priest's side of the confession and it's a TV with his own face, like uh, mm-hmm. showing off the earring, like sparkle, sparkle. <laughs> the word is sin. Yeah. Followed by maniacal laughter. Yeah. I mean, he, he has it, it as well as him uh, relating it to the guy. He has realized the danger that he originally posed as this populist demagogue he realizes that he's been a footman (laughs) oh my god (laughs) he has been a footman but he stepped on the picture of christ yeah and it it didn't didn't work out for him either way yeah no it did not and it will continue to not work out for him yeah so outside at the lineup for the next uh blood donation checkpoint he encounters a janitor friend. Oh, the, uh, what a prick again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, man, I hope you don't take it personal, all that horrible shit I tried to do to you. I was just, you know. I'm just trying to get an advantage. Come on, man. Yeah. Let bygones be bygones. You know how things are. Let's just yeah. walk arm in arm. Hey, why don't we go talk to these guards about all that stuff? Maybe they, they'll they have some opinion on it. <laughs> Fucking disgusting little <laughs> yeah, stain of so, a man. Oh, he's such like a tiny little toad. Yeah. Uh, so Edom walks away from this line and goes behind some trucks where he's approached by a lawyer mm. uh, from the Bonus and Bonus Law Firm who is here to discuss... Uh, alimony payments for his wife which is a complete bullshit thing yeah that is definitely some sort of scam that someone's running oh yeah is Um, that related to gia because there's that weird thing with the bathtub oh i don't she's maybe occupying the apartment oh that could be because we know that there is a double of her and then there is the lady in the bathtub later who is dressed like her and looks like her and it's like it seems like it's a dream because we know spoilers but she's already dead she's they put her in the bag and she didn't get back out of the bag yeah yeah she did not sign divorce papers or file a divorce yeah or do anything no um yeah so he's like well there's like this whole problem and your bank accounts have been frozen but we can work it all out, I'm sure. It's just we need the money, though. Yeah, we just need the money, though. Of course. And Edom is, like, just so done with this shit. He takes a fork to this guy's throat. He's like, I'm yeah. going to just jam this shit into your fucking brain. Yeah. The guy. I, if I just push real hard, I can put this all the way into your brain. And I am so done with everything that I might just do it, man. The guy just starts sobbing. He's like, <laughs> I don't know anything, man. I don't even know who told me to do this. I'm an errant boy. You're right. I suck. I just want yeah. someone to tell me what to do. Every, the, everybody's looking for someone to tell them what to do. Everybody just wants to follow orders. They're uh, <laughs> all just these sheep in a system run by wolves. Yep. And as he's sobbing and like just lamenting his whole life, Eden walks away. And the guy like looks up, he's like, but <laughs> we need the money though. <laughs> yeah. He still needs it. They, they will kill him. <laughs> oh yeah. When he realizes that Eden walks away, he like kind of does like, that thing care. where you put your coat kind of over your face. He's like, I'm done. He's like, I no, man. Go to your death. Uh, it's tough. It's tough all around. Yeah, so here's where we learn about how you can 
donate blood for extra tickets to the uh the big show the super show big dreams dreams hall tv super show yeah uh where you know obviously the pro martian rock group is going to be performing (laughs) of course and uh edom is going to be there he doesn't know it yet but he's going to be there yeah he's one of the headliners yeah he's going to close the show uh He's we'll a, tell he, him eventually. Yeah, he's supposed to have written a closing address as a farewell to the Martians, which we learn <laughs> that the Martians are leaving now. Uh, yeah, so it's this whole thing. Like, you get one ticket for donating blood, uh, two for donating extra blood. Uh, if you avoid donating blood, you still have to donate blood twice, but you don't get tickets. But you get three tickets if you turn in somebody who evaded donating blood. Right. So we got those two fucking Schmendricks who've like picked up this old man who's like unable to get out of a chair and like th- these two, you know, able-bodied big dudes yeah. go to this checkpoint with this guy and like, well, we get 12 tickets because, uh, you know, we brought you hands here. No, we get six tickets because we each get three because we did our donations and he has missed two. So they're doing all this math uh, just con like, this guy it's like oh, yeah. all right guys nurse is like no he's too old you only get two <laughs> yeah uh and this is when the uh the one girl escapes from the back of the truck and does not get far yeah uh they they pin her to the wall with the truck mm-hmm. like as they just stick her with all these needles and drain all this blood and the cop is approaching Edom, who's watching this. He's like, move along, nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah don't. Yeah, Wait. You don't want to get involved, bro. Oh, actually, hold on. You're Iron Edom. Can you give me tickets to the show? <laughs> no, I can't give you tickets to the show. All right, well, police brutality time. Yeah, so they, they beat him up. Uh, he does end up finding his way to the show, and it's almost like the journey in Golem up the stairs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he gets there. Uh, there's this sexy office lady who's been kind of eyeing him up the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finally is in an elevator with her, and she's like, just is eyeing his Martian tag, friendship and, like, just tag, getting, friendship tag. Yeah, getting like super turned on. So he just bends her over and fucks her in the elevator. Yeah, just sort of rage sex. Mm-hmm. But she's like so into it. And then when she's done, she's like, my Martian. It's gross. Uh, oh, he he goes to the bathroom at one point and he this encounters is where a... he runs into a Martian. <laughs> yep. Who just waves at him. And yeah, he he has an he has an opportunity. He's alone with this Martian. He yep, fucking he takes, takes it out. <laughs> yeah, he takes. I don't even know what he grabs. Like something in the bathroom, like a pipe wrench or something. Yeah, I, I think don't know. It's, I, yeah, it seems to just be some sort of pipe. Uh, yeah. And he just fucking clubs it. And it, <laughs> like, oh, it's you gave me a candy. It's actually hilarious the way he like slides across the floor and bashes so into the urinal. <laughs> he, just, he clubs him and yeah, just. <laughs> 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 Oh, the thing that comes out of his head. Ah, it's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Maybe he has, he's like, you give me the red candy. <laughs> yeah, and it, the, the violence towards him, it's like an act of friendship. He's not upset. He's not mad at Edom. 
yeah, he doesn't seem to be. Man, their culture is. Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> they like they like their violence. The that's why they like Dedem. They, I wonder. They do kind of feel like actual Marvin the Martian type Martians. <laughs> yeah, they they are kind of absurd, and they just they love blood, and they're here, and they they like it does seem like they're completely unaware of how much this is destroying everyone around them but they also don't care like there there's just no concept of it mattering to them yeah yeah and and that's that, that's interesting and it's and that's, that's the nazis yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like how why would i possibly care uh what what happened uh, to the ghetto what yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing mm-hmm. so hey, he he fights his way to the stage. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he does also find the sex worker dead in the bathtub at one right. point. Yeah, which I thought was his apartment because it seemed like his destroyed apartment. It. I think it was just a different destroyed apartment. I mean, I'm see- sure there are other destroyed apartments. It's just I was thinking that it could be his destroyed apartment and that she was occupying it. And that's how this claim exists for oh. alimony that she was pretending to be her this is the thing that happened uh during world war ii is people would just take another person's identity who's been oh. executed because there's just total chaos and this is a way you could escape uh oh, the geez. dangers of what's going on <laughs> oh i never even thought about that angle of it i just thought she was in cahoots with the like she was sent by the aliens i never yeah, thought I she know. could have just done that yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. It's there. There's all sorts of different things. There's different elements of collaboration too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he does get to the stage, and he 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 bullies another guy into being like, "Hey, I'm on next, okay?" Yeah, I'm gonna go on next. Uh, and he <laughs> talks to his boss like, "What are you gonna say out there?" So like, say what I need to say. <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, well." All right. Yeah, well, well, I mean, you're you're taking your life in your own hands. You're going to be on television. Yep. And he gives like this big speech that starts. He starts off in character. He's like, "All right, I've got no jokes, no news. Everybody's into it at first. Yeah, everybody's laughing. He's doing his Iron Edem character, and then he he's not so much criticizing the Martians as he's criticizing the people who allowed them to come to be. Yeah. Um. He's saying, like, I'm I'm retiring. Uh, you're going to have to replace me with somebody else. My show, the dumber it gets, the smarter you feel, because you can just latch on to whatever you want to believe and just decide that it's the truth. Yeah. You all believe that passivity is good and that, that uh, not doing... Passivity is a virtue and necess- necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he basically just calls out the entire country. <laughs> Yeah, and he, like he's, the entire everybody. Yeah, he, he's calling everyone out as just uh, everybody has just capitulated to this with such ease. The way this transitioned into a fascist apocalypse was so easy, and I'm part of it. I did it. I I, I admit it, and I can't yep. do it anymore. Now that I've yeah. seen how the sausages are made, I'm finished. Yeah, and and he's like this tag, man. The only way that I could convince you that this is the badge of honor is if you wanted to believe it. Yeah. You you wanted to uh, be on the side of the boot. So he, he removes the tag. Uh, yeah. And throws it into the audience. Yeah, and he gets, of course, removed from the stage. Yeah. 
And, and uh, he runs into the old guy again. Yeah, the old guy's like, hey, I got this uh, I got this briefcase. I have these friends who know all this stuff about dynamite. We're going to blow up one of the Martian ships. Yep, yeah, and uh, Edom's like, uh, you really don't want to do this, buddy. He's like, no, <laughs> I really do. He's like, I'm not against the idea. It's just, I feel like uh, you're probably being... You know, it's it's the RCMP doing this. You know, they're the ones who are, <laughs> who are uh, planning this whole operation. You're just like a functionary who's going to go out there and die. And he's like, no, no, that'll never happen to me. <laughs> and then, of course, and of course, like clockwork, a car goes into the alley watching them with the camera filming them. Yeah, and he gets fucking blown up. the 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 uh, the The briefcase goes off too early, and he just gets exploded. Yep, and and the guys on the radio are like, "Did you get the angle?" Yeah, yeah, we got it. It's real good. Good, perfect. And he, uh, they, they reuse the footage the next day because the, the aliens leave this night, and now yep. the the narrative has shifted. It's like we always hated the aliens; they were bad. Yeah, so Edom is in jail now. Yeah, uh, well, he was a collaborator. He was a yep. public collaborator. Look, he gave prop. He did propaganda for the Martians. Yeah, but it's like. <laughs> He go. He gets arrested after the briefcase thing. So you, you assume he's he gets arrested for that, but he's charged with collaboration. Yeah, <laughs> he's arrested for not collaborating. Well, because the old man becomes a hero. Uh, yeah, they, they they show him like, look at this uh, brave revolutionary who attempted to uh, destroy the evil Martians as they escaped. Yeah. We have always hated the Martians, but because the Martians left behind so much bacteria, make sure you get your voluntary mandatory uh, throat check in. Uh, don't be a problem citizen now. You know, Literally just, the same exact just to be safe, you know. Yeah, you know, playing the, the exact same stuff because it's all the same people. Mm -hmm. We like see this. his boss is still holding on to his position. Yeah, still producing the show, only this time it's called The New Better News. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> At the trial, it's literally like the judge is like flipping out and he's like, and now you have to do this. And Edom's just like, no. And the loudspeaker's like, all right, say that again, but from a different angle. Oh, okay. yeah. No. Right, and there's the thing where he won't do any of the stuff. He's not wearing the wig. He won't wear the Iron Edem wig. So the boss is sent in. Yeah. And he's like, man, I don't, why would I want to cooperate with any of this? What What do I get from any of it? I want to see my wife. Boss is like, sure. Yeah, I can I, absolutely arrange this. And like, could you turn off the TV in my cell? It's driving me fucking insane he's like <laughs> no, no absolutely not i cannot arrange that no no chance <laughs> <laughs> no your wife though you'll see her like you'll see her in a few hours he's like yeah uh you'll see her so he he puts on the wig he goes through the bullshit and then yeah. they deliver the wife back in the same bag like she's just These, never gotten out of it yeah like in a cart they they don't even like lift her they dump her on the floor yeah I was expecting this from the beginning. I knew that this was eventually going to happen. That oh. there's no way she was going to turn up alive. Oh no! <laughs> Once you get black bagged, that's it. Yeah. 
So he's sentenced to death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's found guilty of collaboration with those evil Martians. And it's a telephone verdict. Like you can phone in your vote for his yeah, verdict. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh it's an idol uh, uh type thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so But yeah, they only I... find him TV guilty, so they only execute him on TV. So I wondered about this. <laughs> so yes. Very let's... interesting elliptical ending, yeah. Yeah. So the way the the way it shot his execution is we've got we see the execution happening, but we also see the TV of the execution in the corner. The guards yeah, so are he's he's led in and there's a, a whole thing where he's discussing all of these he's sort of uh learning like the the boss is going over what he's doing still and just still an asshole yeah and then they they take him and then they set up the firing squad and it sort of pans over and we see them execute him uh on tv yeah the but the TV it doesn't one. happen in reality <laughs> yeah no he just gets up and walks away yeah and like he opens up just like huge huge studio door to just this bright white light and yeah i actually thought that was a metaphor for him dying he could be he, but he's then I executed thought... but it it also feels like it's a reflection of the unreality of the tv and the propaganda machine by actual thought like the second time i watched it was like this is the same exact ending as the truman show <laughs> yeah <laughs> and <laughs> And honestly, like, if it weren't for the fact that he bashed a Martian's brain and, like, saw the inside of it, I will, I could be convinced that there were no Martians and this was all just a power grab. Hmm. But yeah, but no, it's, it's definitely it, it not is Martians. It's, it's, yeah. it's a metaphor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's a very striking ending, seeing, because it's such a movie about propaganda and the power of the media as a propaganda mouthpiece, where we see his televised execution that yep. in reality he just gets up and walks away from. Yeah, but like it, it's interesting that so many care the perception of everybody is that everybody he talks to is like, oh, we know you from the show. You have it so great, you're free. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. But we have that's to a be character under the boot. Plays. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't know that he's just this same sad pathetic old guy that they are yeah and they're uh it's it's what leads to his being convicted as a collaborator like he would never wanted to work with them but he played the part because he was forced into it and because he was doing it so publicly because he's on television he's just so convenient <laughs> like they have all of the footage they could just like i mean you said all this stuff though yeah, yeah like they literally said they just they did a uh, homer simpson sweet can edit on his speech yeah well because especially because that speech was so critical of the people for allowing this to happen and they just kind of conveniently skip out the stuff where he's criticizing the aliens and kept all the stuff where he's criticizing the people I, I just love the radio report is like or the tv report <laughs> like the first time that the tone shifts he's like all right well it's only been 16 days since the martians have left but it's not enough days they're so t 
terrible and we always hated them. You know what? Who else we hate is collaborators like Iron Edom. <laughs> yeah. I literally was like, oh, come on, at the TV screen. <laughs> it's like, infuriating. All of like oh. the, I mean, it's it's a movie that the whole thing, it's very tense and it's infuriating. Like everything that happens, especially because you feel its echoes in reality. You, you sort of yeah. know how this sort of, uh, these power systems operate. And it's just like, man, this makes me mad. <laughs> I, it's so, it's too real. It's I mean, like it's happening. It's happening right now. <laughs> it's currently a thing. Yeah, it's just always a thing. Uh, it's, the slogan uh, of the TV station is "We create reality." <laughs> a little like, on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. It's great. I I really like it. Like I loved Gollum, but I do think this one is a step above. Uh, I do too. Uh, Gollum was. Gollum hit me more personally, though, because mm. certain things that he experienced were similar to mm. my life. But that that's different. They, they're both excellent films. They are both five stars. They're both pretty great. Uh, so do you want to talk a bit about Foes? Yes, I do. Another uh, evil so, aliens movie. <laughs> yes, Foes or UFO, UFOs. UFOs. <laughs> UFOs. It doesn't work. It works in text, but it doesn't work when you say it. Yeah, it sort of does. Uh, a pretty obscure film directed by John Coates, uh, mostly seen in a pretty bad extended theatrical version with like Ooh. 20 minutes of garbage. <laughs> that the... is completely unrelated to the original film. Oh, man. Uh, so... I'm so glad that you told me to watch the director's cut first because the theatrical yeah. is so bad that it retroactively ruins the good parts of the film. It's, I mean, it's trying to explain stuff that's not meant to be explained. It's meant to be uncanny. You're, you're supposed yeah. to just sort of live in the vibe of it. Yeah. Like, like this is one of my favorite depictions of aliens because they are incomprehensible. You can't know them. You can't yeah, understand you them. Even visually, they don't make yeah. sense. We we can't really understand any part of the way they look when we see them. They're just sort of a beam of light. Yeah, uh, like, like a string of light that just illuminates. It feels like it illuminates less of the darkness than it should for how bright it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's like not a light that casts much of uh, an effect. They, like it, it just is internalized. Yeah, and the ships themselves seem semi-organic. They're these mirrored ships. They're they move in a very eerie way. This is a, a you know obviously a very low budget film. It really uses the low budget and sort of the staticness of how you move a special effect to kind of make it eerie. Yeah. The uncanniness really works in its favor. Yeah, like like it the the way the effect is done, it makes it look like the UFO isn't existing in the same reality as the area around it, which normally would be a bad thing, but here it really works. Yeah, it gives it an extra sense of unease uh, that is helped just by the way it moves very slowly. It, it's a very gradual UFO film, even though it's not told in like a strict order or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the there's not much of a story per se. It's just these guys who are on this island, lighthouse keepers, uh, a dude and his wife, and these two divers who happen to be there just 
for some reason, this UFO is interested in this island, and the fucking theatrical cut does a invents oh. an explanation. Yeah, tries to. It's 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 very like sixty six Batman Riddler type explanation. It's like triangles and shit. Yeah, it's like, like the uh, island, a nearby nuclear power plant, and a city form a perfect triangle, and that must be why the UFO is. I don't want to yeah, know why I, the UFO is here. Yeah, the the mystery of the UFO is what makes it cool. I do want to point out though one thing about the theatrical cut. The General Mason, he's played by Jerry Harden, who was Deep Throat on X Files. Oh, cool, cool. Um, I like him. I don't know if I got far enough to see him because I think he's like one of the main dudes uh, in okay. the extra footage. But either way, it doesn't matter. That stuff sucks. Oh, We're not going to talk about that stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I I shut it off half like partway through and went back to the theatrical cut because i'm like oh man this is or no back to the directors because i'm like this is just gonna make me hate the movie if i watch this yeah it's it's there's no point uh it's like it's a huge amount it's 20 minutes of extra footage that adds nothing and really disrupts disrupts the mood yeah it it does um because we keep cutting back to this like we have all this cool trippy stuff and psychedelic stuff with these guys who have no idea what they're experiencing. Let me just cut back to like dudes in an office describing a helicopter crash. Yeah, and talking about how what they think is probably their theory behind it. And like, I don't care. I really don't. And yeah, so it like, doesn't matter. I was waiting for them to explain. I was worried they were going to try to explain what the light patterns meant. It's like, no. Yeah. Don't do so, that. So the the actual movie, yeah. Uh, we we have our lighthouse keeper and his wife, uh, and they're the only ones who live on the island. There's these two divers who are taking samples just off the coast. Yeah, and so um, the only people in this whole area, we've got four people. That's the whole cast. Yep, the whole cast. Um, we have like a government guy who shows up at the end, and right. the dive store guy who shows up at the beginning. But no, it's just right. four guys, yeah. four people. And we just have an ominous pan over the lighthouse where the keeper couple, they don't even get a chance to talk about anything really because they hear this explosion outside and they see the UFO through the binoculars. It's just there. You can just look at it. Yeah, I guess in the other version of this, the crash is supposed to be this helicopter crash. Oh, oh, shoot. Sorry. They're, they're, I, I did skip over the plane crash. The, the real oh, okay. version has the the plane crash and we do see it uh, okay plane crash yeah yeah because i wasn't aware of a helicopter crash but yeah okay no. plane crash yeah yeah helicopter crash is something that is told but not shown to us in the theatrical cut right <laughs> so yeah like there's just these fighter planes and we don't really see what's going on they're just flying around and then they fly towards a ufo and they just explode yeah uh, it, there's, I, I like, I don't want to theorize too much about the nature of the alien ship or something, but I assume it has some sort of field around it that is extremely hazardous because, <laughs> you know, when, when our people get pulled into it later, when they, they get beamed up, they don't make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't even get to the ship. <laughs> they, they, they get kind of up to the field area and, uh, they get fucking fried. Mm-hmm. Um, 
obviously it's a little bit later on, but not a whole lot. And then we just sort of, this isn't a, this isn't a, it, it doesn't occur in order. This is a, not a linear film. No, no. We, we see a lot of the stuff that happens earlier, but we see it later because they're remembering stuff they had blacked out. Yeah. And we like, yeah. It's like, first we have these people, they put around the Island and they, this, this UFO shows up and like, wow, what the fuck's that? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. What, what do you think it's doing here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the girl's freaked out and the guy thinks it's cool. Uh, I he... mean, it's fascinating. Like, I, we, we got to document this. This is, a, a, you know, a massive thing. Yeah. No one's ever happened, had this before, or have they? Yeah. So he, he get of course, they get the camera, uh, take the pictures. The pictures are out of focus and blurry and foggy. Presumably, again, because of the field generated by the U- UFO. Yep. Uh, so uh, radio they, don't they work. Sort of, radio doesn't work. It's it's jamming signal. Yeah. And it's not doing anything. It's just nope. kind of they they go around the island and it sort of follows them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it like kind of hides behind rocks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just like it's it's a little bit off the coast. It's slightly out of range. And they're like. Well, uh, what do we do? We can't call anyone. Do we just go about our business? Uh, they decide to get in the lighthouse because they're worried it might have radiation and the lighthouse walls are thicker. Yeah. Kind of a smart move, but the guy keeps going outside to check out the UFO anyway. I mean, so would I, I though. I kind of don't blame him. This, this, I, I, would, I would end up like this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he turns it, they, it, not long after this, it's very little... Uh, stuff happening you know they're yeah they're being menaced by it and then he goes out and it picks both of them up it's just like it's beaming them up and he gets fucking turned into cinders and she gets badly burned but she doesn't make it as high up yeah and like and it, it drops both and as the closer they get to the ufo like the more trippy and psychedelic the background becomes mm-hmm. like it's i i would in terms of explaining things, I mean, not really explanatory so much as I think I kind of view them as interdimensional beings more so than outer space beings. I, uh, that's and just, yeah. That's probably. And the, there, there's sort of a dampening field around them in terms of the, uh, it's, it's what, it, it, it sort of maintains the reality that they're from. Okay, like that, that kind of allows them to exist in our dimension instead of theirs yeah sort of coexist between dimensions is how they can beam down in their sort of weird light suits it's sort of this powered field that it generates from them okay something along those lines i don't know it's again it's not even meant to be explained yeah (laughs) accept the mystery yeah Uh, take it on faith uh but we don't see that stuff we don't see the beaming up we just see the divers show up and Nobody's there. Yeah. What the hell? Who, who, who aren't there? Aren't there a couple people on this island? Yeah. The divers, uh, they rode out to the island because the engine of their boat just stopped working. So yeah, they they radio for help. Of course they can't. And then they mm. find the girl, who has been so badly burned, major electrical burns all over her body. Yeah. And we notice, but they don't notice that there's no no other guy there. And they, they take her back into the lighthouse and she tries to explain to them about what happened. Yeah, but uh, she, she can't really. 
Yeah, no, she's very badly burned. And they yeah. go out to explore and they find just the crispy remains of the guy. Yeah, he is. He, yeah, there's there's nothing left. He's a charred corpse. Charred skeleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they decide they, they need to get off the island. That they take they take the girl, they put her on the rowboat, and they're gonna row back to their uh to their motorboat and just try and fix the engine with whatever they can find. But they right. get they get picked up by the UFO and just tossed all over the place. Uh separated. Yeah. yeah. So they end up kind of all over on the beach. Yeah. Uh, one guy finds the girl and like hides her underneath this rocky outcropping. The other guy, uh, he's got a gun and he encounters the aliens. This is the first time we see like, they look like strings of light, kind of. Yeah, it's weird because there's like one vertical shaft of light and then there's sort of like a smoky... Uh aura around it that that's kind of like yeah i don't know it's it's a really cool effect especially for such a low budget yeah this is i i don't think i've seen a good interpretation of psychic interdimensional aliens before this mm-hmm. it's spooky it's mysterious i i really like how just weird and uncanny it is that there's just nothing familiar about them yeah yeah so he shoots at them but that doesn't work of course of course it does of course he does and of course it doesn't yeah uh they it just does absolutely nothing but now they're mad yeah now they're chasing after him and it turns out they can move pretty fast yeah i mean they're just light yeah <laughs> uh, light moves pretty quick it, very fast faster than uh <laughs> faster than usain bolt i heard faster than most things so uh there's that incredible, like, it, it just, it passes on into the night. It's this weird vibe of the movie. It just, like, it becomes night. They're on the beach. There's that absolutely incredible shot, which is the poster. The, oh, the my gosh. Under like, the, the UFO. Yeah, like, the full moon is highlighting the the water of the ocean, making it, like, this beautiful, like, baby blue, while the silver UFO is also lit up, but, like, the sky is covering above. pitch black totally black and then uh our our one guy the dude with the gun he walks up into frame just in the middle of it it's like a fucking inspirational poster it looks incredible (laughs) it's so good oh everything about the ufo is so good i love like the mirror things when we look at it from the bottom when it's flying over the red canyon yeah it's really cool i i just what they were able to accomplish with such a low budget is really impressive because it's uh, it's a style of alien I've never really seen before. Mm-hmm. And, and mad respect. Yeah. Uh, the ship at one point, I don't know if it gets mad or what it's doing, but it shoots out like this red horizontal light that kind of reminds me of uh, Gygus from Earthbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're unable to... Uh... <laughs> Uh, oh, understand the nature of the enemy's attack or whatever. Something like that, yeah. And, and it's true. I don't know what it's doing. And it would comprehend the nature. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah. and that's sort of the weird thing. I never really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. There's another point where it like turns the sky yellow and we just see this black sun-looking thing, but then it turns into space. I Which don't know. Sort of- yeah, which sort of feels like, is this their reality? Is this sort of like them kind of switching over? I don't know. I don't but know. Uh, 
they they have obviously a massive amount of power and it's just sort of totally obscure to us and that's cool that's a really interesting way to do uh an evil alien movie where they're totally unknowable uh in a way that just yeah i i i'm surprised we haven't seen done otherwise i've just never really seen it it's weird yeah no for sure i've never seen anything like this before (laughs) (laughs) uh they do end up getting rescued at the end by a cia guy yeah or or some government agency we don't really find out he's mysterious yeah uh they they survive the night i guess yeah they just had the uncanny experience yep and he's and it's, it's the whole thing like don't tell anybody what you saw and then yeah can you like remember what you saw this is when the girl i guess remembers that shot i saw with the black hole turning into outer space yeah yeah and that's pretty much it these guys had an uncanny encounter a couple of them didn't live yeah uh, and yeah, it's it's just it's left eerie. Uh, yeah. I I have watched the theatrical cut, but I don't recommend it. No. <laughs> it really adds less than nothing to it. Uh, the mystery is better. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if I had watched the theatrical cut first, and they like explained what the beams of light were, I would never ever be able to separate that from just the mysteriousness of it. Yeah, it would permanently ruin this movie for me if I had actually sat through the theatrical cut. No, uh, I could definitely separate it, but yeah, it's just it's pointless. It's totally garbage. It's just like this is someone else writing fan fiction on top of something that's already superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the chat, you compared it to like something Al Adamson would do. But yeah, it's Al Adamsony, but you know, Al Adamson did it to his own movies. Yeah, he, there was <laughs> there was I think a degree of a degree of love for what he did and also he's not usually padding things out that's not mm-hmm. his thing he would just add new stuff because like it wasn't working so it's like what else can we add that people <laughs> would find fun what's something that would like pump this up I'm like well let's throw in zombies let's throw in uh let's <laughs> let's uh, make this uh, an alien movie out of nowhere. <laughs> and this doesn't like the the things they add here don't have that kind of flavor. No. It's just people talking in a room because they needed it to be longer, and that's a drag. Yeah, and and <laughs> and they're like there literally is a five minute scene of them describing a helicopter, uh, uh on the, over the right talking over the radio, describing a helicopter flying towards the UFO and exploding. Yeah, which doesn't happen. Yeah, so we, it's like, we already great. See, yeah. And we already saw things flying towards the UFO and exploding in the real movie. Yeah. Um, So, uh, strong recommend to the director's cut if it's available. I have no idea of the availability availability of this right now, because this is uh, from a label called Garage House, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, They they released, like, I don't know, 10 movies. Uh, I think I have everything they released. Maybe one I missed. Uh, And... It was an, it was like a lost film. Oh, and okay. I think only the theatrical version was known, and this is the only release of the director's cut. Oh, Jesus! I don't think it's available anywhere anymore. But you know, if it can be tracked down, it's worth it. It's really good. It really is. Um, lots of really good movies this week. They're all good. Yeah, a real strong batch. Uh, so, do you have any last thoughts on either of those 
uh, War of the Worlds the Next Century or Foes before we head on to our fir- third and final section. Yes, you can trust in the Stacks podcast. You must trust in the Stacks podcast. You will trust in the Stacks podcast. Uh, all right, on to part three. And we're back for part three, the Watched Stacks. We're talking about the other movies we've watched in the past week. I'm going to choose our movies for next week. So, uh, first up, it's one that both of us watched. Two uh, Wondrous Tigers. Two Wondrous Tigers from the Jackie's Ploitation set from Gold Ninja. Uh, not, not not a lot of plot in this one. No. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm trying to think what the plot was. There were these two guys. They they met each other. I don't know if they're the tigers. They they meet this lady who uh, is being harassed by this guy who's a dork who wants to marry her. Oh, right. And he's got, like, the evil dad. Yeah, he's got an evil dad. And uh, he's... She doesn't want to marry him. And then they there's a competition where her family... Uh, she, her sister and brother, they have to fight all three of them to marry her. And uh, he, obviously, the the dork guy who wants to marry her is completely incapable of that. So he keeps sending champions. Right, and and somehow the two guys get involved. They uh, become champions. They they get hired by him, and they're gonna also fight for her. But they also want. They actually want to marry them. Marry her. Yeah, yeah. yeah they both want to marry her. Everybody wants to marry her. I mean, it's there's it's it's all fights. It's mostly like uh-huh. an entire movie where every sequence is a fight, and then there's a thin thread of plot that relates these things together. Uh, good fights, but yeah, an absence of plot. It's much like one Brawlbusters <laughs> that I watched a little while back. <laughs> yeah, and at some point, it's it's not clear even who the two wondrous tigers even are because yeah, I don't know. One of the two guys just walks out of the movie about halfway through. Yeah, and I maybe the girl is one of the two wondrous tigers. I don't know. Maybe. It doesn't matter. I it, thought maybe the two sisters. Were, yeah, it doesn't matter. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Except the mystery. Yeah, I don't know. Next is Impulse. This is a slasher, proto slasher from William Griffey. Uh, we okay. did Sting of Death mm-hmm. by him a while back. Jellyfish, killer jellyfish movie. This one stars yep. William Shatner. The Shat oh. himself as the slasher. Oh. What if William Shatner was a slasher? <laughs> <laughs> There's a very funny moment in it where he's walking through a public square with the girl, our main character, lady, the final girl type, right? Uh-huh. And he runs into someone who's walking and has just a bunch of balloons. And the the noise of him running into the balloons just absolutely cracks me up. <laughs> like goes on for a moment, and then he just he's so angry. He just he turns on a dime, just like like you ought to be granted up into dog food. <laughs> and then like he turns around and he just puts the fake smile on again. It's like, hey, wait up. <laughs> Uh, it's weird. He's he's a slasher. He's he's like a, a bluebeard type. You know, he marries rich widows and kills them. Oh, uh, okay. But he'll also just slash people if they're catching up with him because he's a gone man. He's just sort of on the run. And there's like this little girl who's suspicious of him. 
and he's dating her mom so she all of her concerns are being written off by her not wanting him to replace her father oh one of those yeah yeah uh and you know he <laughs> there there's a part with odd job harold odd job cicada nice uh, nice he's like his old former partner who's tracked him down and he uh kills him in a car wash <laughs> like runs him over a bunch of times the little girl's in the back seat and witnesses it that's a pretty crazy scene that sounds awesome it's pretty good i had a good time it's very um i mean it's a very william griffay kind of slasher movie <laughs> all right and shatter's good in it i think he's actually Ooh. solidly good oh he's i like when he's good he's good when he's good yeah uh next up the burning hell it's an estes perkle picture Oh, does he tell us about what happens in hell? Oh, man. It's not as laugh a minute as Footman, but I had a lot of laughs. You know, it mm. was cracking me up. It is, uh, you know, it's him telling about hell, of course. Yeah. It's uh, all, all the horrors waiting for you in hell. Uh, every time he says hell, he says it exactly the same way. It requires a full exhale. So even if he's in the middle of a sentence, he has to take a pause and it makes it awkward. It's funny. <laughs> hell every time hell <laughs> hell and he says it a lot that's <laughs> what the movie's about uh so this one there's again it's one of these weird ones where there's suddenly a main character in the middle of this sermon movie yeah. this time it's tim ormond <laughs> oh, okay uh he plays a hippie yeah he's he's mm. a little older now so he's a hippie and he's like biking around with this other dude and they're i don't know they're they're religious, but they're it's it, they're shit's anathema, right? They're a hippie religion, right? Right. So, so they run into Estes Perkle, mm. and he's you know telling them that they're wrong, and uh, you know you got to worry about hell, and you need to be saved, and blah blah blah. And then uh, his, Tim's older friend is like, <laughs> "Forget that, you're an idiot," and they they drive off, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit down the road uh the guy gets ahead of him and tim turns a corner and the guy has gotten in a horrifying accident has been beheaded it's <laughs> it's just gone flying feet away from him always uh, with the beheadings yeah uh I, at this one it feels like purple did it with his mind it's like this guy <laughs> offended me and now he is getting the retribution tim walks back to the church where purple has given his sermon on hell and <laughs> he sort of becomes the person he's mainly preaching to but he's talking about how one of the things is like he will not budge on like oh no your friend is definitely currently burning in hell that's what he's doing he was unsaved and there's nothing that can ever be done about it he's that's a, now learn about everything that hell is like this is all that hell has in store for your friend who just died <laughs> and, perkle uh, yelling at him the whole time oh my god uh, and yeah, hell, it's mostly just people who are oily and there's fire and you know, people are whipping you and there's people, there's bugs and you just lay on the ground and moan. And... <laughs> My favorite bit, he's telling the story of diabetes, which I don't think is an actual Bible story. I tried to look it up and I could not find a reference, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, maybe it's apocrypha or anathema, whatever uh diabetes it's this rich guy and he commits sins and whatever they show they shows him going to hell and then he says 
but hell never gets but hell never gets better it just uh, stays the same it's always awful forever and ever and you think you just get used to it but you don't it's just it's just constantly bad and horrible and it's like <laughs> and it's like we cut now live to diabetes uh after 10,000 years in jail and it's just like it's this oily guy he's surrounded in fire and it cuts him he's like, <laughs> i'm tortured <laughs> uh like i said not quite as laugh a minute as um as footmen uh but all of the hell stuff is very funny it's just there's a lot of stuff where he has guest preachers who drop in to do some of their own preaching they're all boring and it's not even that perkle himself is an entertaining speaker in any way it's just He's got an imagination. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't have the charisma of an Alex Jones. No, he he does not. Sadly, there there is uh there's a really great part where hell opens up and swallows a village. Like it's it's an ancient Bible tale, and you know everyone's right. been really bad. And then there's just an extended sequence of just the ground opening up, and everyone goes, "Whoa!" <laughs> Falling. I think I sent you that. Oh yes. Uh I mean, yeah, it's knocked it out of the park again. It's another really fun Estes Burkle wacky Sunday school adventure. (laughs) Next up is Thirst. This is a uh horny vampire movie by Park Chan Wook. Oh, oh hell yeah. Uh Song Kang Ho is a uh he's like one of these self-mortification priests. He's into uh, self-flagellation and stuff he's really really serious i think he's maybe a jesuit priest oh, okay and he goes on a mission where he's going to be injected with this it's something like ebola virus it's not exactly ebola but he's being injected with some virus and there it's a vaccine study and they're hoping they'll be able to uh find some sort of cure for it but everybody dies including him but then he comes back to life just like a little bit afterward because uh he had gotten a blood transfusion from a vampire Ooh, to becomes a vampire but he's an ethical vampire okay <laughs> comes back to uh uh to where he lives and tries to take up new stuff but uh he's sort of you know he's seen beyond the veil of death he's a vampire now and things are really his whole philosophy has been changed and also people view him differently you know they he's he's sort of known as this hero priest he's also horribly scarred from uh the disease although right he soon finds that if he drinks blood when he drinks human blood it heals him and he becomes just extremely powerful okay he doesn't drink it from a person well he he sort of drinks it from a person he drinks it from a blood bag uh, in the hospital cuz you know he he has access to the hospital as a priest right right uh and then you know he he meets this girl who's very troubled she's very very troubled and she's in kind of an abusive relationship maybe she's part of the problem herself uh and she really wants to be a vampire as it turns out and he's not super into it and she's uh, you know it it turns into kind of the the storyline with nadine and bobby and leo in the the chair you know after oh. new shoes 
it, it's, right oh <laughs> it turns into kind of a situation where like they murder her husband uh and you know they, they fake it as an accident and then uh he's like living with them and the mother is catatonic for whatever reason i can't remember exactly how that came about and you know the the girl is just kind of trying to rack up murders and wants to become a vampire and just things are slowly spiraling out of control and thirst sort of refers to just the general extreme horniness of everyone all right everyone's thirsty (laughs) sounds like it could be my jam i love park chan wook yeah next up is takana which is another bollywood horror Ooh, this one's pretty cool it's a slim one it's just over two hours I saw that. I was like, oh my god, this is the shortest one ever. <laughs> it's uh it also has no annoying comedic subplot. It's you know, pretty consistently just this one storyline, which usually you don't get. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh but you got like these two sisters, they're separated at birth. Each of them has one half of a map. Okay. Uh and we we see the thing at the beginning where there's this guy who uh like heretical priest type shit who is locked in a dungeon and there's this rampaging monster that's sort of left in the this dungeon uh i i I don't remember if the i i think it's there's like a treasure in there some sort of treasure that's left behind he's like fine you're sealing me in with the treasure all right and like he this evil priest he'd intended to sacrifice the two sisters but they'd been saved but like one of them disappears you know they they're only able to locate one of them in okay the the escape from the dungeon i don't know a little confused there but sure (laughs) you know they grow up separately and uh this the one of the daughters uh ends up meeting this dude who runs a club who was one of the guys at the start who's like one of the friends of the family and he's just like a greasy club owner now uh and she just like tries to get a job there as a waitress uh he rapes and murders her oh and then they come to town looking for her because she sort of surfaced and they they saw a picture of her with the with the half a map so it's like oh shit that's the other side of that must be her and he has realized it because, you know, as he's burying her, he sees, like, in a shallow grave, he he sees the, the half of the map and he realizes who it was. Okay. But apparently he was maybe always sort of with the priest and he decides he wants that treasure. So he's going to steal the other half of the map from them. They don't realize that he's working against them. You know, as with all these, extremely plotty. Yeah, yeah. This sounds incredibly complicated right now. Yeah, and there's like all this other stuff with these the other people who are coming to town to uh, locate them. We're mostly spending time with them, but this is sort of the key stuff. Uh, so the, they start exploring this place, but obviously he's got given them a fake map, so they keep running into problems. People get menaced and torn apart by the monster. This one gets a, is a lot of violence, a lot of gore, a lot of people getting like thrown on spikes and shit. Ooh, all right. I sent you that intermission. <laughs> oh, <really> yeah. <laughs> Someone gets thrown into a wall of spikes and they're just like impaled there bleeding and it, the intermission <laughs> comes up. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty good one. It's pretty fast paced. There's a lot of crazy stuff. 
it's just the unfortunate thing is you've got this family friend character who is sort of the main human villain and he seems to just be a serial rapist he's trying to rape people a lot uh and uh there's like one point where he tries to rape the sister of this comedic character so like there's a comedic character he just doesn't get his own plot line right and he comes in like you know stops him and it's sort of a, a still a comedy scene that because it's a comedic character and you know everybody plays it off no one takes it seriously because it's a comedic oh, character yeah i don't know there it, it some of that stuff leaves a bad taste in my mouth but uh otherwise you know fast-paced uh good music as usual cool, cool. location the dungeon nice nice most of it is in the dungeon. And then, you know, the, the rampaging beast actually gets loose and goes on a fucking real rampage, like bloody rampage oh, at the end. Cool. <laughs> nice. Uh, next is Moonraker again. Moonraker. <laughs> Moonraker. That's not how it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, what can I say? I just watched it like two weeks ago. I love this stupid movie. <laughs> uh, if we... It's shown up here so much, I almost feel like I have to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> it may show up again. Uh, <laughs> next is Thrilling Bloody Sword. Ooh. This is another one of those bizarre 80s Taiwan uh, wuxias. Like, okay. uh, you know, uh, the uh, Kung Fu Wonder Child in, in kind of oh, a similar yeah. vein to that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's at the beginning this lady she's like i think she's the wife of the emperor or some local warlord or whatever she dies in childbirth she she births this thing it's just this blob of pulsing flesh this horrible thing it's it's like something out of lynch oh i'm just thinking of that uh oh god what was that one with with mandico where the two the two ladies take care of this like yeah. flesh blob they find yeah it's Ugh. like that but bigger you know it's a big thing Ugh. uh and because it's like watermelon size it comes out of her and she dies and it's just this horrible blob so they're like i don't want this child <laughs> set it on the river okay away. it drifts down the river and the seven dwarfs find it oh okay the seven sure. dwarfs yeah seven dwarfs <laughs> the seven dwarfs i mean they're they are seven dwarfs they're not the exact same i think one of them is like smelly uh (laughs) some of the same some different ones anyway so but yeah they're the seven dwarfs okay (laughs) yeah they got a little village where they do mining and stuff it is completely the seven dwarfs uh the the blob drifts down the river they find it and they're like what's this let's let's eat it and they uh (laughs) they put a knife into it and it a bunch of smoke comes out and there's just like a normal baby girl in there. Okay. So she's like our Cinderella slash sleeping beauty. We cut forward 17 years in time when she's a teenager and there's like this dark wizard and he is just causing problems. Uh, he's got all these monsters. There's this nine headed dragon that's been eating people. There's this Cyclops monster. That's like grabbing people and pulling them in the bushes and consuming them. And you can see how all of this sort of works into one movie. <laughs> yeah totally uh you know they come to town and there's sort of you know the 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 dark wizard kind of has a maleficent sort of deal where they're you know she's working for 
or she's working for and against this guy, the guy who is the dad of the blob. <laughs> it's the lady that's the Cinderella. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Next is just for the hell of it. It's a Herschel Gordon Lewis picture. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think you've seen any HGL. The originator, the, the godfather of gore. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard the name. Yeah. Uh, this one, it's a youth gang violence movie, but it's kind of, it, it plays like it's a polemic. You know, it feels like it's a movie that's about youth violence as like this dangerous thing. And like, you better watch out. There's, it feels like it's anti-youth or it feels like it's a, actively against the hippie movement or something. Okay. Which is why I, I feel at the beginning of the movie, there's an introduction by Herschel Gordon-Lewis where he's like, people uh, didn't realize that this movie was just supposed to be fun. And, you know, the name, we we made it just for the hell of it. And that's all. I hope people watch this and just see people having fun. That's all. <laughs> I feel all it's right. a criticism he's received. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's just it's this gang. They they love wrecking stuff up. They're just like the Martians. Uh, they they just destroy rooms all over the place. It's mostly what they do. There's a lot of sequences of them just wrecking stuff. That's that's like their favorite thing. But you know they they gradually extend into other violence. Uh, they <laughs> there's like a part where they uh, steal dude's crutches uh, as he's leaving the hospital and just like keep away <laughs> stuff like that assholes yeah they're they're just jerks and it's kind of stupid pranks like throwing water on people and stuff like that until it escalates into them murdering people you know <laughs> just right. gradually builds up uh there's this guy that they don't like who they keep like kidnapping his girl and doing horrible things to her uh i mean yeah it's it's an hgl it's messed up <laughs> okay <laughs> next cool. is mirror this is uh uh tarkovsky an andre tarkovsky film this is the only one of his that i had not seen before it's the the one gap in his of his uh from his major filmography okay so he is a soviet era filmmaker uh this is pretty late period this is like 80 maybe 775 kind of a tough one to encompass it's a very experimental movie uh, all right have you ever seen uh antichrist or the tree of life oh the tree of life sounds familiar but i don't think i've seen it and i haven't seen antichrist okay terence malick's tree of life i feel like it's very heavily inspired by mirror um and antichrist is like explicitly has a lot of visual references to it but uh, okay. uh, it's it's uh, the 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 basic logline. It's the dying thoughts of a Soviet poet thinking back over the last, you know, the the all of the insanity of the twentieth century, the all of the stuff surrounding World War II and up to the seventies, uh, particularly around Russia and the political right. movements and everything like that. It's not really within society, though. It's not really tracking social movements. It's sort of rural. We're living in this liminal space. They live in this really beautiful woodsy cabin that's full of light, but it's 
always eerie inside. There's children praying and it's, it's very disjointed. It doesn't take place in any sort of order. We're just sort of seeing a bunch of images from a life. Okay. That sounds interesting. Uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty much a masterpiece, but yeah, it's, it's tough to describe. All right. Also kind of tough to describe one that's been on the stacks for a really long time. I think it was in the top row. Certified copy filmed by Abbas Kiristami. Oh uh, yeah. This has been right at the top for probably since near the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of inspired to pick it up and rewatch it. I, I've seen it before, uh, mainly because of uh, Milky Way, because this is also sort of a movie where it's, there's no fixed reality. And it's about discussion. It's these two people. Uh, one guy is an author, and there's this lady who runs an antique shop in Florence, Italy. Okay. The guys come to do a book signing, and she comes to the audience, and she's getting some books signed, and they're meeting for lunch. And they have a conversation. And... Th- that's sort of the plot. It's kind of like a romantic comedy, almost. Not a romantic, not a comedy. Romantic drama. It seems, right. it seems like it's going to be. Or it, it has, like, the flavor of any scene of it could on its own be one. But when you put them all together, they don't fit. Because it's also a movie about art and authenticity. Okay. He's written this book called Certified Copy. And it's about authenticity and the, of the authentication process and uh, how, are, are you familiar with the concept of the simulacrum? Uh, I've definitely heard the word, but I don't know. I don't know if I am. This is a cornerstone of postmodern theory. The simulacrum is the copy of uh, an absent original. Okay. So uh, the, the idea that something uh, in in postmodern works, a lot of the time you get works that are pastiche or simulacra where they uh, create something that is a relic of a non-existent reality, you know, or uh, you in, in this case, there's there's sort of a literal version of it where they uh, find they, they find this famous painting that they have enshrined in this, uh, you know, ancient Tuscan villa. And they're looking at it and it's like, well, it turns out this isn't actually the original. This one's a copy. The original is in this other city in Italy. And, you know, all this time, this one has been sort of worshipped as this beautiful version. Even though they found out it's a copy, they've decided to keep it and keep it enshrined and just tell people about the story because they feel like it's a really good copy. Okay. All right. Uh, and it, it's been working so far as yeah, a copy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's them talking about art and authenticity uh, for quite a bit. And at the beginning, they're strangers. They don't really know each other. She's excited to get his book signed. She's telling him about her her sister and the relationship with her husband. And uh, he doesn't seem to have any familiarity with her. But then over the course of various conversations, conversations it starts to seem like they know each other and maybe they've known each other a long time and maybe he's actually her husband and maybe the sister and husband don't actually exist and it was a metaphor for the two of them and uh we we sort of take a turn where the reality just sort of is constantly shifting and it's 
neither of them are accurate. Like it's actively a movie that is putting in inauthenticity to make it impossible that the halves meet together. So it's this romance drama without uh, any possible straight through narrative. Uh, like I said, it's it's a difficult to describe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to imagine this concept and. Um... I, I'm kind of. I think I'm failing at it. <laughs> so it's like uh, I I told you a bit about I, like the the problem is uh, it's very art theory. They're, like I can give a lot of reference points. There's the Dogma ninety five thing I talked about a little while back, uh, which was a sort of a cinematic manifesto, and I don't remember all the precepts, but this follows a bunch of those. It's uh, unity of time and place, no diegetic or uh, yeah all diegetic sounds, so no soundtrack or anything. And it's just them on this day. It's real time. They drive around the town. They go from place to place uh, in real time. And they have a conversation. They're always talking about stuff. But every little once in a while, something will be said that changes the reality that they're in. And it becomes the new reality. And often they're encountering copies of themselves. They'll encounter oh. older couples or younger couples. Uh, they talk about this, uh, the the sister and her husband, and they sort of become this idealized copy that they refer back to. Okay. Okay. I, I think I'm, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that helped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's complicated. Uh, it's, it's not to all tastes uh i on the first time i watched it i did find it pretty annoying because there's no concrete reality under a movie that's all conversation so it almost feels like they're playing a game like they're just Mm. like pretending to uh be different people at any different point in a conversation under which there's no reality and it seems like they're getting frustrated with each other because it gets (laughs) You know, they they get angry over time. They you know the, the relationship changes to from one where they're new and meeting each other to one where they're uh, contentious and have an angry past. So there's a metaphor in like the scope of a relationship, but we're only seeing two hours, except we're seeing the full scope in those hours. You know, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's good though. Uh, sounds like another one of those huge dense complicated movies that we've uh yeah that we've encountered a lot of lately we've been doing a few of them that's why i felt like picking up mirror and certified copy this week so yeah i've my mind is in that space all right cool uh so next up cloak and dagger this is heading back in a totally different direction this is a movie sponsored by atari <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, I i already have this image in my head of what it looks like and i bet i'm about at least 50 percent correct so it's a really only 80s only in the 80s kind of thing uh it's also obviously co-produced by the san antonio tourism board because it was just like (laughs) you're you're hanging around you're doing you're seeing all the sites in san antonio texas that's that's what you do in this movie (laughs) So it's it's uh, Henry Thomas, the Elliot from E.T. Okay, yeah. He's uh, his his mother has recently died, so it's just him and his dad, and he's having trouble coping. He's got this imaginary friend, Jack Black. <laughs> like actually, no, that's the name of the character, Jack. Black. Oh, okay, uh, okay. He's played by Dabney Coleman, uh, and 
Jack Black is just like an invincible super fighter. He can do anything, get out of any situation. The kid's really obsessed with spy stuff. And he accidentally stumbles upon an actual spy ring. Uh, he, th there's a plot to move stealth bomber plans in the cartridge of an Atari game. I see. So he gets involved in it and no one will believe him because he's a kid. And also he's been talking about this imaginary friend quite a bit already. So he's, it's kind of a boy who cried wolf situation too. This does sound an awful lot like the movie I was imagining. Yeah, uh, he's got uh, he's got a couple people on his side there. One of them is um, William Forsyth, you know, Tico. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. He's his computer nerd buddy who works at the video game store. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, he's, he's the wise guy who gives him advice about nerd stuff. Yeah, he's he's his guy at the computer. Nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, he you know he realizes that no one will trust him, so he's sort of on the run. These guys are after him. It gets very violent. Uh, it's surprisingly violent for what's ostensibly a kids' movie. Uh, you see all the sights of San Antonio. A lot of time on the Riverwalk. <laughs> Excellent. Because uh, yeah. I, I don't think I'll get down there my own on my own anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. It is truly one of these only in the 80s kind of movies. It has a whole thing with a bomb on an airplane at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly what I what I imagined. Yeah. And last is Shrigala. Uh, this one's an Indonesian movie, not a Thai movie like uh, Crocodile that I got confused the other time. This one's actually Indonesian. Uh, okay. Shrigala, it means wolf. And it is a Friday the 13th knockoff. It came out the year after. It's a, I guess you'd call it a first wave slasher. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, even the letterbox description refers to it as a ripoff. I mean, the, the funny thing is, the movie's like 90 minutes. First sure. hour-ish doesn't have a lot that would make you think Friday the 13th. You got these treasure hunters. They they're looking for some sunken treasure in this lake. Okay. Uh, and they they find they they pull up a corpse instead. They they find a, a coffin that they think is going to be full of gold and jewels, and it's just a waterlogged corpse, and they're very upset. <gasps> That's Jason Voorhees. There's a whole section where they have water or uh, a speedboat fight. The <laughs> masked person. There's someone who's just all in black and driving a speedboat. And they speedboat duel for some time. <laughs> All right. So like an hour into the movie, suddenly it becomes like a shot for shot remake of Friday the 13th at the end. Oh. <laughs> it's like all of the end stuff, uh, beat for beat, shot for shot. A lot of very like <laughs> identical framing. The, the location is kind of similar. You have a very similar cabin, main cabin. Obviously, none of the characters are the same, and it's a completely different plot line because you have treasure hunters. There's no Jason. There's no mother. Uh, but you do have people in each of those positions, and yeah, it plays out to the end of Friday the 13th, like every sequence. <laughs> that's like the last half hour uh, in Indonesian. That's That sounds interesting at least like yeah i, I, I want to see that i really enjoyed uh the ha that last half hour it's like this is just friday the 13th i was laughing <laughs> like every time a new thing like oh my god this is going to be the pamela Voorhees. 
<laughs> and she shows up and like, oh, that's, that's funny. <sighs> they they do the fake out with the jumping out of the water and they go to the. <laughs> they do all of it. it it's like, I, like, how did you not get sued? I guess nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> nobody saw <sighs> it. So those are our 12 options. What do you figure for our second feature next week? Well, uh, right now, uh, I'm definitely looking at Thirst because, you know, Park Chan-wook has never missed before. True, true. Uh, at least not that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I-, I do want to at least watch The Burning Hell, maybe do like a little, <laughs> a little side thing for it. Yeah, I mean, we could potentially also do like another... Uh, Ormond's Roundup at some point in the future. Who knows? The, uh, these religious maybe. ones might be all kind of fun. So far, okay. I've been impressed. <laughs> this one was <laughs> this one was a jam. All right, all right. Uh, I'm also interested in certified copy, but I kind of feel like all these really dense movies have fried my brain a little bit, so I don't know. Yeah, this one is a lot. I mean... Yeah, it's it's all art and authenticity, and there is no consistent reality, so it is tough. One of the things that I just kind of go on about this movie, there's, like I say, it's an onion, there's so much we can un- unravel with it. Uh, they, She speaks French, she's French, like she's from France, and he's a British author, and most of the time she's speaking English to him, but then she'll speak Italian to other people and French to other people, and there's all this stuff about him not knowing other languages. Like it, one of the first shifts is her talking to someone and like, you learned English from him, but he doesn't know your language. And they talk about that for a while. And then later on, he does speak French and he, he is bilingual. And then there'll be sequences where they're just literally yelling at each other in different languages and understanding each other, but it's just never really referred to. They're just yeah and it's you know the idea that they have become these people who are they don't even speak the same language anymore anyway (laughs) oh man (laughs) ah okay uh all right i've made a decision then uh we are gonna do another double feature Ooh. yep uh we're gonna do certified copy and thirst Ooh. (laughs) that's that's quite a lot (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah i don't know why yeah i mean to be fair i i i mean blank check just did a podcast on thirst so we 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 maybe don't need to go super deep into it it can just be more of a fun ride and certified copy we can spend some time analyzing (laughs) maybe so thirst could be our foes yeah we'll we'll see how it works out yeah we'll see we'll see i might who knows how much i'm gonna have to say about either one yeah, fair. Uh, certified copy is a thinker. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Even, I guess I'm just going to ignore me saying that my brain is fried and just yeah. do it anyway. All right, so we have five additions to the stacks. First uh, from the Jackie's Playtation set is Hell's Windstaff. Uh, from what I understand, it's going to be quite a bit like those other ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, AKA the Dragon and the Tiger Kids. Yeah, <laughs> young kung fu experts. It's uh, they're being terrorized by an evil warlord who has Ooh. Hell's Wind staff. <laughs> so <laughs> they they get a guy to train them in some arts and face off against him. Obviously, you know how these things work. 
<laughs> uh, next up, the Grim Reaper. It's another Ormond. Okay. It's this uh, lady. Her her husband and son don't want to go to church anymore. What can she do? <gasps> oh fuck! So she like is imagining all the things that uh, they're doing, and like they're communicating with the dead. The son is going to become a stock car racer. Oh shit! Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, I mean, oh shit! I'm going to hell now. Uh, on the poster, demons do exist. Quoted by oh. Doctor R. G. Lee. It's the explosive <laughs> motion picture about Satan's demonic army. It's got Jerry Falwell in it. Oof. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, uh, no. <laughs> next from the uh, Bollywood box set is Purana Mandir. Uh, All right. It looks like it's got just a whole fucking bunch of plot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this one's cast this system stuff. Yeah. We got some cast system stuff. There's this uh, Suman is uh, in love with uh, someone who's middle class and, you know, they're forbidden. So there's, it turns out there's this huge curse on the family. There's a bloodthirsty flesh-eating demon named Samri uh, who's been haunting their bloodline for 200 years. Okay. Uh, this is, I think this is maybe the first one. This is the earliest one. So it's a little bit more rudimentary, not quite as developed as the later Bollywood horrors. Okay. Okay, cool. Next from Herschel Gordon Lewis is How to Make a Doll. Uh, one of his non-gore pictures, uh, oh. I, which I don't think I've seen any of at this point. Maybe I've seen mm. It, it would. I, I can't picture an HGL without gore, to be honest. <laughs> this one's like a, a sex comedy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, there's a professor who's making fembots because no one will sleep with them, so he makes sex bots. Right, right. I mean, it's an HGL. That's, that's your whole plot. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last up is The Report. This is uh, this shares a disc with a certified copy. It's a much earlier film by the same director. Okay. Uh, uh, this is from... He's an Iranian director. This other film is uh, Spanish. Uh, I think it's made in... It's, or in Italian. It's an Italian-French movie. This one is, you know, uh, in Iran uh, from the 70s. It's this tax collector who's accused of taking bribes. So they're investigating into his life. Uh, recently, his wife had a suicide attempt. And we're kind of interrogating the realities of their relationship to, through different official statements, I think. Okay. So dealing with some of the same themes as certified copy. All right. So for our main picture, what do you figure next week? Uh, well... You got talking about Friday the 13th, which got me thinking, when was the last time we did a slasher? And the last time we haven't done one in 2023. Yeah, that sounds very, I mean, I've been watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I haven't seen Friday the 13th part two, which is on the stacks. That's true. That's a pretty good one. That's the first one with Jason. Yep. Uh, the only other one with Jason that I've seen is Jason Takes Manhattan. That's wild. It'll be interesting for you to see the first original one. So yeah, I mean, this is the one that creates the template. Jason attacks uh, camp counselors. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that uh, that'll be cool. We'll have kind of a, a 
a looser one for our first feature, Friday the 13th, part two. And then go into Certified Copy and Thirst for part two. This will be wild. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of different things it sounds like it's going to be. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Um, anathema, because I can't think of anything. And the loudspeaker spoke up and said, Jason, 